Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. We got a great show for you today on this great Monday. I'm going to recap some of what went down on Friday, what I remember from Friday, what was important from Friday. Also, because there were 34 interviews, as you just heard a little bit of Chip Kelly, I've got some Herm Edwards for you. I've got Jed Fish. I've got some football players at Stanford and Washington and other places that you're going to want to hear from. And we're going to get a visit from Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Networks coming up in about 10 minutes. Let me just set the scene for you uh, on Friday. And I hope everybody had a great weekend. I, I left the media day on Friday. I think it was the last media member out of the building, which was weird because I was one of the first into the building at 6.45 in the morning on Friday. It didn't start till 8, but I wanted to get set up, and I knew I was going to have a really interesting and marathon-like day. And I did. I hydrated. I got some coffee. I was, I was careful to, like, you know, try to get food when I could get food because I knew with this schedule of interviews that I had – and what, how important the day felt and was, I knew that I was going to uh, need to be on my game. Uh, you tell me if I was on my game when you hear the interviews today, because some of these interviews came late in the day. And, in fact, Herm Edwards, the Arizona State coach, was late, late in the day on Friday. And it was really strange because some of the media members on Radio Row, some of the other radio stations in Salt Lake City and in Phoenix and the Bay Area and other places – uh, they began to pack up right about the time we went on air. And my interview with Herm Edwards, I was taping my interview while you were listening to other interviews on Friday, like Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith and Chip Kelly. Uh, I was taping with Herm Edwards because I, you know, I couldn't be in two places at once. So uh, as I'm taping with Herm Edwards on Friday... Somebody from the Seattle radio station cluster, KJR, started unpacking or packing up and started pulling things out of plugs and pulling cords in, and they were in the adjacent radio booth. Well, they shut down the entire radio row by pulling out an Ethernet cable that was supplying high-speed Internet to everybody on Radio Row. So Herm Edwards, about two minutes into his interview, suddenly uh, my phone started blowing up, and it was uh, – the uh, engineers and production people back in Portland who were saying, hey, we lost you. And I looked down, and, and everybody on Radio Row was having the same experience. Like, everybody was suddenly off air, and I was really grateful that we were taped uh, part of Friday because part of the challenge was we had interviews that were scheduled throughout the day beginning at about 8.45 in the morning, and then it went all day long. And so by the time we got on air at 3 o'clock, I really I had about 25 interviews in the bank. And Herm Edwards was being taped, and, you know, uh, granted, I had to say to Herm, I'm sorry, Coach, like, we got to start over here once we get Internet back. And the Pac-12 was scrambling around. They were crawling underneath tables and desks, and I thought to myself, is this happening at Big Ten Media Day? Is this happening at SEC Media Day and other things? So uh, they eventually got it uh, connected back up, and Herm Edwards stuck around. We just started the interview over, which was cool. And very gracious of him. But you'll hear that interview coming up a little bit later today. My big takeaways from Friday, because I didn't get a chance to share this on air as I was interviewing people and talking with people, but big takeaways from Friday were this. 
One, you can tell that the Pac-12 conference is trying to punch back. You can also tell that the Pac-12 and George Kleofkopf, the commissioner in particular, uh, were bothered by losing USC and UCLA to the Big Ten Conference. They're still bothered by it. They feel betrayed. It was laced throughout their comments. George Kleofkopf took a shot at UCLA, and he said, hey, uh, there are athletes in, in Olympic sports who are already saying that they're going to go to other schools. Uh, UCLA Athletic Director Martin Jarman was on a jog when Kleofkopf said that. His phone started blowing up. He issued no comments. He didn't want to punch back. Like, there's some back and forth that's going on that's really inside this conference and really inside baseball. But there was also, you know, I asked George Kleofkopf about his relationship with Kevin Warren, and did he feel betrayed? And he essentially said, look, I give everybody the opportunity to earn my trust and respect until they don't, and I'm going to leave it at that. Basically, I don't trust him, and I don't respect him anymore. Where does the Pac-12 go from here? Well, Friday, the third thing we learned was this isn't going to happen fast. I think George Klyovkov and the Pac-12 are going to extend their negotiating window with ESPN and Fox. I expect that to happen. Nobody has tipped me off to it. But I expect that to happen because I think that negotiating window, they're going to want it to uh, expand by another 30 to 60 days as they wait for the Big Ten to go all in on their media deals. Once the Big Ten goes all in, the Pac-12 can go, okay, the market has been set. Here's what Fox is paying. Here's what uh, the Tier 2 and Tier 3 partners are paying. You'll have a better sense of what is going on with the Big Ten Conference once that all happens. But I think we learned, uh, one, the Pac-12's feelings are hurt. Two, uh, you learned that uh, there's some sense of betrayal around this conference. Three, you learned that this isn't going to get resolved anytime fast. I expect it to stretch throughout this month, this uh, August, the month of August and into September before we ultimately figure out what the media rights deal for the Pac-12 conference is. I've been talking to ADs all weekend. I talked to some on Friday involved in the Pac-12. I've talked to some uh, in the SEC and in the Big Ten conference, and I'm trying to gather you know, what Notre Dame is going to do. And that is going to be a big domino that falls in this big equation. And right before the show, I was on the phone with an athletic director who told me that Oregon, Washington, Stanford, they're not going anywhere until Notre Dame figures out what they're going to do. And the prevailing theory about Notre Dame is that if Notre Dame can stay independent, Notre Dame will stay independent, meaning if they can get access to the playoff and they can get a media rights deal that is north of 65 to $70 million and upwards from NBC, I would expect that Notre Dame will sit tight as an independent, and that may put a pause on all the movement. Pac-12 may exhale at that point. The SEC may look over and go, okay, we're good. The Big Ten may say, we're good. And I think we may see a cycle of three to four to five years uh, it, where we don't have a whole bunch of movement. Now, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 will still have to determine, do they want to expand? Are they going to try to cannibalize each other? Uh, what is the Pac-12 going to do? I do think the Pac-12 is in a position of strength relative to the Big 12 that it uh, does not enjoy when it comes to the Big Ten or the SEC. But we got a great radio show for you. ton of interviews you're going to hear. Yogi Roth, uh, Pac-12 Network analyst, he's going to be live and with us in the next segment. I hope you stick around for it. I'm excited for today's show. i got a lot of opinions I didn't get to share on Friday. I'm going to share them right here today. I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. Yogi Roth coming up next. <laughs> 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I had a lot of fun in Los Angeles, part of Media Day on Friday. One of the things I was really bummed about is I didn't get to see Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Networks. Friend of this show, uh, man of the world. I, I heard him. I was on Radio Row and I was interviewing David Shaw or somebody, and I heard Yogi. So he must have ventured up to the floor, but I never saw Yogi. Now, Yogi, where were you? <laughs> I did. We had a break in the recording for about an hour, and I went to uh, I went downstairs to to get in the club where you guys were at, where all the Radio Row was, and started walking around and did a couple hits. Um, yeah, man, it was bummed to see you. Or bummed, excuse me, bummed to yeah, not yeah, see you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. in L.A. Yeah, I know. And, uh, but congrats, man. Congrats on your engagement. Congrats, or your, your anniversary. Your, your, your anniversary. Anniversary. Yeah, my wife's and, going, uh, what? And a new engagement. Yeah, yeah, new engagement with Wilner. That's what yeah. I meant. Yeah. Uh, the podcast. That's exciting. Yeah, Wilner and I are going to do a podcast, and we talked about it on, uh, I think, Thursday's show on this, uh, on this station. I'll, I'll let the listeners in more on it in a bit, but... Yogi, uh, you know, I came away from Friday. I was exhilarated. I was exhausted. I did 34 interviews that were one-on-one interviews. At the end of the day, I was looking around going, I don't want to talk to anybody. But what were your quick takeaways from Friday? Uh, well, number one, I thought the conference uh, and our commissioner, you know, position of strength. You know, for, for a month, our league has taken a lot of shots. And I think his statements had a resounding effort. You know, I've been doing a lot of interviews around the country, in the South, in the East, in the Midwest, and the first question is not, is the Pac-12 going to survive anymore? The first question is, the Pac seems to be back. What a what a Friday, what a media day. So that's the, that's the big one. And he also, you know, stood up for the league. You know, I think all of us that work there and work for the Pac-12 network in whatever fashion it is, you feel that. You're like, okay, you know, we're competitive, competitive too, right? And you've heard a lot of ABs. Uh, as well, say that same thing. It's a competitive industry. It's not like ten teams are going to lay down and shut it down because two decided to go to the to the Big Ten. So I think that was that was one. Uh, two was the stories. You know, um, Ashley Adams and Ted Robinson came over afterwards just to have a bite to eat in my place, and we just kept raving about all the stories of the players. And we had Alex Cook on set, and we gifted him a baby outfit. We got a baby boy on the way. Um, you go up and down the line. We sat on set with Cam Rising. Um, Cameron Ward and Caleb Williams, you know, three quarterbacks that transferred in this league. You know, hearing their stories was fascinating. Um, Tanner McKee, you know who he who he is and what he's about. Um, I just loved sitting next to him and David Shaw, having known Tanner since he was 16 through the Elite 11. So the stories are the next one, and then I think the final one was the talent. Our league's talented, man. I, I've got a document of every player, every position on every team that I'm always looking at in my office here at home and. We're, we got a lot of next-level guys, right? And I think a lot of the narratives around losing two teams was like the Pac-12 doesn't have players. I'm like, well, I'd take our top six quarterbacks right now if you'd rank them as starters, right, the guys we know that are starting. i put those six in any order up against any other league's top six. And I've done that research. I've done that homework. And, and I'm not even including guys that aren't named starter like Emory Jones or Bo Nix or Michael Penix is possible or probable starters for their respective schools. So I, I'm just pumped on that. I think we've got a lot, of, a lot of ballers this year, and it's going to be a fun league to cover again. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network Analyst, is with us. Uh, the three quarterbacks, it's interesting. I got, I got the same three guys uh, and got a chance to talk to them. Uh, really impressed uh, 
with Cam Rising, and we'd, we'd seen him play. Uh, Caleb Williams, sensational player, and it was good to talk to him, get to know him a little bit. But the guy that I came away thinking, wow, was Cameron Ward. He's got yeah. it. Like, there's something going on between the ears that I went, uh, look out. If Washington State's got some talent around him, I think he's going to be a nice surprise. Yeah, we, you've been talking about the Cougs for a while, right? And, you know, last year they went through something clearly unprecedented, uh, but it was held together. And they played well, and they've got, they've got some surprising talent back. I think they're going to be an under-the-radar team. And I had heard so much about Cameron Ward that I flew up there in spring ball to spend a day and a half with him. to let me into position meetings. I sat in and listened to him learn. I sat with Eric Morris, his former head coach, now offensive coordinator. Spent time at practice, uh, watching a lot of his nonverbals, watching him interact with the team, uh, was in the team room with him uh, for a team meeting. Uh, he's He's got a lot of unique traits to him. And the one I think I love the most is that he's been overlooked, and he knows it. This guy's got a unique drive to him. Uh, and I think all these quarterbacks have a unique trait, on a, if, if not multiple. But this is a guy who was the most sought-after quarterback other than Caleb Williams in the whole portal. And he went to Washington State which is, you know, he's not getting a ton of national play, but this guy could have gone anywhere, you know, and he, and he deserves that. And when you watch him play, I watched him film from Incarnate Ward comping it with spring practice, and you're just looking at him do things. Then when you see it in person, like, wow, a lot of guys don't make those throws. So I, I, I think there'll be a little bit of a learning curve regarding the speed of defenses. I think that happens with anybody when they make a jump up to this level, but this guy knows the system. He's been teaching his team the system. It's not like... Where Jaden Delora, he's going under center, learning a new system. Cameron Ward's teaching what he's doing to his teammates when he got there. And, and I'm excited. I think he is worth, like, two wins, right, because I think he can make so many dynamic plays out of the pocket, off platform, whatever cool word you want to use of him. He, he does it all. He's really, he's really gifted, and uh, I'm glad you saw what I saw in the spring and I think what a lot of people got to see last week. We're talking to Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Networks. Uh, you know, this is a conference, I think, that that would really benefit in this year, if it's going to be any year in the next couple, that if they could get a playoff team or have a team that is in that conversation to the very end, uh, huge benefit for the conference while it's going through this transition and, and trying to figure out what it's going to look like. Utah seems to be that team. Let's talk about them. They're going to Florida uh, early season opportunity to win that game's probably going to be a pick em by the time it kicks off but what do you see in utah yeah um i see a championship culture that did not take any shortcuts if you think back to i, I was there when they put it on my pit panthers in the fiesta ball with alex smith and i remember that was kyle whittingham's first game he was the co-head coach and it was my first year as a little reporter and i was doing sideline for the game and i remember watching him in his press conference next to Urban Meyer and being like, oh, there's something about this guy. And here we are 18 years later, right, as he entered the 18th season as head coach. And they have never tried to just take a shortcut, right? Think about when they entered the Pac-12. I remember the game against USC where there was a bad spot. Maybe the game goes a little different. Who knows? But they were competitive from jump. And as the years have gone on, they've just steadily grown. And now, and I asked this to Kyle on set with us on the Pac-12 Network, so does it feel like, it's just natural that you're picked to win the league. Like this is the next step. He said, "Yeah, you know, we've been we've been working really hard at that. But yeah, that that is the next step. And, and the reason I say that is that 
a lot of teams in the preseason get a ton of hype to being playoff contenders, right? Because that's the media era that we're in where everybody unfortunately talks about the playoff, which I think is damn the game and a bunch of fronts. But regardless, we still do it. And a lot of times teams are overhyped, right? It could be an old Miss, right? It could be your sleepers around the country. Utah's not overhyped in that regard. I mean, really grounded, you could say, yeah, I love their offensive line. They bring back some really talented players. They've got the best trio in the country at quarterback, tight end, and running back, and have depth at each of those positions. I think receiver-wise, they're going to take the next step this year to replace Britton Covey, but I like the talent there. Defensively, holes to fill, but you'd like to think they do that, right? They've always developed the front seven well. Yeah, two of the best corners in the league, if not the country. So I'm, I'm really just grounded when I say, yeah, Utah, it's their league right now, right? They proved it last year with how they played on the field. Their schedule sets up for them to make another run this year, and they should be talked about every bit of a playoff team as anybody else that's returning a bunch of players. When you mentioned the the playoff and how it's damned us, I I agree with you, but I want to know what you're thinking about because I think that access to the playoff is important to the best of the best, but there's a lot of teams that, know i think in their heart of hearts that they're never going to contend in a four-team playoff and and you know and they have a season too like they have a season that is a meaningful season but what are you getting at well i remember when it came out you know and you're saying to yourself and i, and I was part of that bcs era right i remember when i was at fc we didn't play for the national proverbial national title and there was kind of the split national title remember that uh it was fc michigan and the rose bowl that year where Kerry Culver a sweet touchdown, and Matt Liner caught a touchdown. Um, and I, I remember that played in that era. When it got announced to be what it was going to be, my first question was, okay, well, what's equitable? Who's playing eight conference games? Who's playing nine? It, ask anybody in the game. They tell you there's a dramatic difference just there, whether it's repeat opponents year after year and them knowing your scheme, comfortability with non-conference versus conference opponents. Um, let alone just the focus it takes. Right? When it's week 11 and you're playing, you know, disrespect, but a lesser-known team like most teams in the SEC and at times teams in the ACC are doing, it's more beneficial to them, right, versus in our league. Look who we're playing in that week. Just go down the schedule. It's not even close. So I'd say that, one. Two, and I've talked to a lot of fellow broadcasters about this, is that from the beginning of the season, we're in a sport of stories. Uh, the story just becomes the playoff. And the minute you lose a game, like your story seemingly doesn't matter anymore. And, and I don't like that for the game. I don't think that's, especially when you add in, well, four teams get in the playoff, there's five power leagues, doesn't make sense. Eight versus nine games that I just got them talking about. And, uh, and I think teams just kind of get forgotten. So then you start to manipulate it and say, all right, well, can we just have as many cupcakes as possible? Can we just have a bunch of easy games? How can we get our record to be, you know, how can we be Minnesota a couple years ago or Western Michigan or whatever it is? I remember when they took their run and, I'm not disrespecting those teams. I'm just saying, like, everybody's schedule is not the same. So then you start to get in the game of, all right, are we positioning ourselves? How do we do that? And I think all of those elements aren't the best for the game. And that's why I look forward to the day, hopefully sooner or later, to when the playoff is expanded. Who knows if all automatic qualifiers or not. Uh, I think you should do that. But some sort of equitable fashion to a sport that we love versus, hey, we've got the best roster in August, and for the most part, that Alabama or Ohio State or Georgia, like they're going to kind of get in unless they really stumble and lose two or more games. How did you think George Klyovkov did? Phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. I mean, I'm 
Yeah, I love his leadership style. I love how he stands up for the league that he represents. I love how he communicates with all of his employees. Um, I love that he stands up for, you know, the league that sometimes takes uh, shots that aren't accurate. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Um, I loved his candor, right? And everything about it, even recognizing his candor as he did in real time during that Q and A. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, as I, I think I told you this, uh, you know, after the first few months when I got to know him a little bit, but I'll follow him and his leadership all day long. Uh, and I can't wait to see what our next move is. And I think all of us were hit really hard who love the league, right? You included when the realignment hit this league in, in, in unexpected fashion. But after about a week, you kind of came out of it after talking to leadership and people involved, whether it's ADs or they're part of his team. And you're like, okay, we're going to emerge what it looks like, how it gets formed, what form it takes, where it's seen, who, who knows? Like, I think everybody we've seen over the last month become a media expert. I'm not going to pretend to be one of those because most of those people pretending aren't. Um, but I'm going to follow his leadership, and I, and I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited and enthused and uh, jacked to see what our league's next move is, and I've got absolute trust in him to make the best move for the future of the league. And this is, I think, I've been in this league for almost 20 years, and I hope I can do it till I'm 60, man. I'd love to be a part of this league for that long. Let me ask you, you got a book coming out about QBs. I don't know how much you can get into it right now, but you want to tease it a little bit? And, you know, when it comes out, I want you back on. But what are you working on? It's out. It's out, brother. What do you mean it's, it's out? It's out on Friday. Really? Yeah, we're out. Yeah, we're live. Um, called Five Star QB. It dropped on Friday. And uh, I'm real happy. It's, um, you know, for whatever it's worth, it's an Amazon bestseller within three days which is cool. Jeez. And ultimately, uh, f for me and my co-author, Joey Roberts, we we've done the Elite 11 for almost 20 years. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks come through, and them and their parents continue to ask the same questions around recruiting and visits and transferring and mental health, uh, managing life on campus, etc. And we said, you know what? We need to create a book of sorts that can be a tribe of mentors for these athletes, whether you're going to be a walk-on or whether you're a five-star, as well as their parents. So we did it. We canvassed the history of recruiting. We ended up interviewing 54 quarterbacks. So at one time, we're a five-star quarterback. So going back to Red Bomar, Ryan Perlou, Mark Sanchez, Matt Barkley, up into Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, uh, current quarterbacks that are playing. Like Davis Mills playing in the league. Uh, a lot of guys. Sam Ellinger. Um, 54 guys, and we asked them all the same 22 questions. And they answered them with incredible resolve. And they were extremely candid. And they offered their advice. And through their story and shared it, right? Whether it was Ryan Burns, Keller Christ, KJ Costello, Josh Rosen, uh, they were very open with, I wouldn't enroll earlier. I would enroll earlier. This is why I transferred. This is how I did or didn't manage mental health, uh, whatever it may be. And then we layered in 40 what I called ambassadors of the game. So Pete Carroll, John Schneider, the GM of the Seahawks, Dan Lanning, Lincoln Riley, David Shaw, Chip Kelly, Jeff Fish, Herm Edwards, Jake Dicker, Brenda Tracy, uh, the Holinsky family, Dr. Michael Gervais, the best that I knew in our sport. I said, can you write a letter of advice to parents and players? And it was a really cool thing because everybody, everybody did. Everybody showed up and put a lot of time and thoughtfulness into their ambassador letter, into their answers as a quarterback. And it's 597 pages, bro, of uh, really cool wisdom and advice from from the community of quarterbacks and, and people that have a big influence in those. So 
it was awesome that, it, you know, Serendipity just had it come out on media days that morning, uh, which was really cool. And, uh, yeah, and I've been doing a bunch of interviews talking about it. And I'm really, I'm really proud because I think it's going to, I think it's going to really help people. Uh, it's going to help players and help parents. And I think it's going to educate fans a lot. I think as you see the coverage, you can check it out on Amazon. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Yeah. Dash, yeah when, when you see the cover, it's the faces of all 54 quarterbacks. Um, and why I did that was because I think when a player gets named a five-star prospect and they commit to whatever your favorite school is, there's a standard and expectation for them. And they often get seen as a jersey number and an arm and, and a ranking. And they're a human. And you've known me for a while now. Like, I love the humanity within sport. And I want and I urge a lot of fans to just remember that. You know, there's a passage in there in the book of a quarterback who says, when I was at one school, on my visit, the student section was chanting my name. Well, two years later, when I was starting for that school, they were chanting my name but booing me off the field. <laughs> and and yeah. a lot of the guys talk about how it's hard. Right? There's guys in this book that have, you know, come in and out of rehab. There's guys in this book that, you know, Ryan Burns talked about how he was, um, you know, when he was told that he was going to get benched for Keller Crisp, he exhaled. He said the pressure just became so much. And then the next day, Tavita Pritchard and David Shaw came to him and said, hey, we're going to make sure you go meet with this high-performance psychologist. He said it was one of the best things that ever happened in his life. So it was really it was really fun to reconnect with a lot of guys from back in the day that are now have multiple kids and, you know, they're killing it in their own lives and they're the furthest thing from a bust, uh, as well as hear from guys like Cam Rising, you know, who was like a five-star guy for like a week because some guys drop and some guys rise, uh, and to hear about their journey. So it kind of my life's work at the quarterback position and it took about three years to, to finish it. And over the last five months, just put my head down and, and went for it. And, you know, it's had a, it's had a good reception so far and I hope it has a long life. I'm going to take a look at this. Uh, it, it's called five-star quarterback. It's not about the stars. It's about the journey. I'm sorry that I missed the release on Friday. I knew it was coming out, but uh, I love that you're able to talk about it. And, I'll link it in the newsletter that that goes out tomorrow, Yogi. I think you know. I, I think it's a fantastic idea for a book. So thanks for doing it. Thanks, bro. I appreciate you uh, sharing your platform to to help share this book. Yogi, I hope this conference competes this year. I think they need it more than any other year. And I'm not sure. I look at Oregon. I look at Washington. I go, you know, are they fully ready? It feels like Utah is ready. Um, and, you know, I think it's uh, – I, I do think Utah can go to Florida and win in the opening week. I think that would be a big one for the conference. But well, let's get you back on towards uh, the end of fall camp because I'd love to get more thoughts on this. I'm all in, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting on a little mini training camp tour in the next 10 days or so and seeing a bunch of our teams because it is a big year. You're exactly right for a bunch of levels, on the field, off the field, um, you know, with where we're going next as a league. I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm just so excited for the QB play. You know, it's just got me juiced up when you look across the board. Jack Plummer, uh, Chance Nolan, to all the other guys that we referenced. It's just going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun league. And you're right. We got to do well in the non-con to make sure that we're in the discussion within the reality of today's college football coverage. Thank you, Yogi Roth. Thanks for joining us. Anytime, bro. There he is, Pac-12 Network analyst, author of the book. Here I thought I was breaking some news. Five-star quarterback is out. It's not about the stars. It's about the journey. Yogi Roth, good stuff. Coming up, I did an interview on Friday with Caillou uh, Blue.
defensive back at Stanford. I left Media Day thinking about this interview. He is uh, bright, talented. We talked about the Oregon-Stanford game and a whole bunch more. You'll hear that interview coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Good stuff from Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network. On Friday, I got a chance to sit down with a defensive back at Stanford. Caillou Blue Kelly joined me. You're going to hear that interview here. And uh, just tell me what your one takeaway was, because I had one in particular that I was left with. Here's my talk with Stanford defensive back Caillou Blue Kelly. Do people ask you pronounce your name for me after they see it? Like, has that been happening since elementary school? Yeah, man, it's been it's been my whole life. Honestly, I have no problem with it. It's difficult. I understand. I just don't want to mess it up. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. Like, Some people don't ask; they just go for it. And yeah, absolutely trash it. So they, they just brutal. Yeah. Hey, uh, your coach said that he feels like you guys are a tiger in the weeds right now. Nobody's expecting big things from you guys uh how are you feeling about this this season yeah i mean i like it that way i think a lot of people would be shocked you know a lot of people after that season they probably counted us out rightfully so i understand but i feel like we'll shock a lot of people this next season so tiger in the weeds is a great way to describe it give me an idea uh spring ball Mm -hmm. how did you feel and looking around there were some guys that came back to stanford that didn't have to come back Mm -hmm. they must have seen education of course but also opportunity on the football field. Yeah, I think a lot of guys, like knowing myself, I made that decision as well to come back. They saw the morale of the team, like a team that know what we went through last season and seeing that and knew we had to work and wanted to work, and that came out in the spring ball. Spring ball, I saw a bunch of guys flying around, a bunch of guys trying to establish themselves. It was great. It was a great time. It was interesting. I think Oregon in particular, there were a couple of defensive backs that didn't get drafted, that mm-hmm. declared, and you know they, they still signed undrafted contracts but it's a tougher road Mm. did you pay attention to that did you look and go okay like Uh, you know yeah i've seen like a lot of guys where i I was shocked i mean i was like wow it's just it just goes to show how hard it is to do it you know it's like getting drafted is not a not an easy thing at all and staying in the league is even harder so it just shows goes to show that's pretty difficult to do where are you getting advice from who's talking to you Uh, on those those decisions yeah dad dad for sure i mean he did it he played for 12 years you know he's a great player at it played my same position so why not go to him but yeah he's definitely my yeah i think of you and i look at like uh i like elijah molden mm-hmm. having a dad yep. who played that long and yeah. you know you get that's such a benefit isn't it yeah i mean it's a blessing man i mean you get so many tips and opportunities to like know things that not a lot of guys know just based off of not being able to do it so yeah it's a great opportunity how often you talk to dad or what how do those conversations go after games uh it's uh he's my biggest critic i mean yeah, i could have a great game but he'll be the first one to tell me what i did wrong and i like it that way you know i don't don't need another fan in my corner with my dad you know he's just another coach for me and i like it that way is he though as you were growing up was he a guy that was kind of in your ear or would he wait till the drive home to uh, tell you yeah no he's waiting yeah. till the drive home <laughs> he waits for that moment <laughs> yeah he's for sure got you alone in the car yeah 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 and he goes what were you thinking there yeah he's like, so what were you doing there yeah <laughs> we just get to it it's cool it's really nice yeah your dad uh it, that's such an advantage but tell me about the other influences in your life outside mm-hmm. of dad how about mom uh mom yeah my mom is the one who just makes sure to always she's very like very prominent on being humble you know she's really taught me how to keep myself grounded i take a lot of pride in that growing up and where i am now is always being humble and working hard and staying true to myself like she's the one who always brings the aspects of what it means to be 
a football player. She was the same rock for my dad, and she's trying to establish that for me as well. So it's really great. Yeah. You know, uh, your position, you're on a little bit of an island out there. Yeah. <laughs> you like that? It's fun, man. I mean, the, the reward is what it's really good about because you know you're on an island. You know you're doing one of the hardest things on the field, and the reward for what you do is so much greater. So I love it, man. I love when the tension's high. There's some outstanding receivers who have come into the conference. For sure. You welcome that? Yeah, I mean, I love it because it just gives me the opportunity to go against some of the best guys. You know, you always want to do that because it's see where you stack up. You know, you see you prepare for the best guys, and you get a chance to go against them in one game almost, which is a great opportunity. It's really fun. It makes game fun for sure it's it's interesting to me to kind of talk to you guys players in general and get to know you away from away from the football um you know your quarterback tanner mckee's talking about private equity yeah <laughs> it's way over my head yeah. uh you know colorado linebacker he he's a chef okay and uh okay. one of the offensive linemen is uh uh you know defensive lineman is is breeding dogs wow what are you what are you doing what I mean, are, what's your side hustle after that track list it's pretty hard to stick yeah. up against that um, i do a lot of stuff with my dad on um development okay a lot of housing development he's building a few houses down in vegas where i'm from and i just tail him and just get into that business and it's really gotten what i want to get to when i'm done with football is just housing and um, residential real estate and um, a lot of just commercial stuff as well so that stuff is a lot so are you buying property with dad or uh, what are so you doing managing it by not my money yeah i'm, I'm right, sitting right. there watching him sign the check but yeah. uh yeah i'm just watching him do all that stuff you know i i um and actually um I am. I can disclose this now. I'm creating a video game. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm um, pitching it to Microsoft very soon. It's going to be a pretty big game. It's called Dark Angel, and um, I'm the creative developer on that. And that's something I do on my pastime as well. So okay. That's I'm really so you're a game. Are you a gamer first? I am. Yeah. yeah, I do. A, that's my pastime. All right. What did you grow up on? What was that first game that got you? That first game. I feel like everybody had to dive in Call of Duty. Aside from Madden yeah. 2K, the basic sports games, but Call of Duty, I was something that I've always played, still play to this day for sure. What makes a good video game? What makes a good video game? Really how, because a lot of video games do the same things. You know, every game has a goal and a mission and something you have to accomplish. It's how they kind of craft that, the story behind it, the lore and stuff. That's what I get into with my video game. That's what separates different video games from good to great, I feel like. I love that. Do, do your teammates know this, that you're uh, developing no, a game? you are actually the first. To, um, breaking news? Yeah, this is breaking news, man. I can actually disclose this now, yeah. That's not like being a chef. Like, I almost thought, like, the linebacker of Colorado said, hey, you know, I'm a chef. He's yeah. a little sheepish about it, right? Yeah. Like, but you're... You're uh, creating something. That's yeah, that's going to yes, be a sir. cool thing. Yeah, yes, sir. It yeah. will be. It should come out very soon, yeah. know, around uh, fall. How hard was fun. it to say no to the NFL? You, you know, your dad yeah. played at USC, right? Yeah. Okay. Then yes, he 11 seasons in the 12 seasons 12 in the NFL. Seasons, yes, that's, sir. A, that's in the top 1% yes, making sir. 12 seasons. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. So how hard was it for you to go no? Um, it was it was a long process. I'd say I really pro. He told me the main thing to do is take each and every single day and pro and con the situation. If you end up with more cons, you know what to do. If you end up with more pros, you know where to go. And I feel like it was tough. I mean, it's a dream for everybody, and when it's right there for you and you could step into it, it's hard to say no. But I, I'm confident now that it was. A, I'm good with my decision. That's good advice. That's yeah. good advice for any decision. Yeah. Really, like you know, to step back and have. You know, the ability to do that. Uh, we are talking to Caillou Blue Kelly, uh, Stanford defensive back. All right, this season, uh, you got to do better than 3-9. and nine. Of course. <laughs> you guys know that. Of course. But yes, this is a Stanford program. I'm going to guess when you were recruited, mm -hmm. they were selling, hey, we won 10 games. We had all – like, sure, you sure. you got to leave it better than you found it. Yeah, 100%. And that was the main goal coming back, you know, leave a legacy. Leave a legacy that I can look back and remember on. And 
three and nine was not was not what I wanted to leave off on. And for sure, I feel like this year, no matter what happens, it'll be 100% better than last year. I'm very confident in that. USC, UCLA, how will they be greeted by fans in this conference? You know, that I really was, you know, of course, I'll be leaving. It wouldn't really affect me in a way. And um, I feel like there shouldn't be animosity towards any of them. It wasn't the player's decision. You know, it can't, you can't be mad at the players for that. You know, we're just playing football and we just do what we're told, you know. So I feel like whatever happens with that, I hope for the best. While you've been in college, it has changed a lot. Yeah, like for the, sure. It's a business. Yeah. Guys are jumping around, NIL. Mm -hmm. um, you like it or is it more complicated or there, what's the pros and cons there i say my opinion towards it is um unbiased you know i feel like as a player it's a great opportunity i mean players can get paid now you know it's just uh, as we know college students we all struggle in our own ways we're not paid we, but with that opportunity it's a great opportunity so i see it that way it's a good opportunity for guys to get paid for sure how did your parents settle on caillou blue yeah um so we're going to the delivery room right now uh my my dad is stuck on blue. He's like, that's going to be his name. And my mom, though, she wanted a, another K. Uh, Kiaren is yeah. my sister. Breland is my brother. So okay. exotic names off the yeah. bat already. We did uh, that with our kids. Okay, yeah. for sure. Because so you know I'm a John, yeah. right? You can't do that. Yeah. yeah. You know? You can't. <laughs> for sure. So um, they tried to find what flowed, you know, what flows with blue so we can just meet in the middle and compromise yeah. here. And Caillou spelt K-Y-U Blue. Yeah. So that's my first name, actually. Caillou Blue is my first name. I okay. have no middle name, but that's that's how it all came to be, man, for sure. I love that. Yeah. Great story. Great to meet you. Yes, Thank sir. you. Wish yeah. you well with the video game. Let us know when that comes out. Yeah, for sure. Well, I can't disclose too much, but yeah. that's all I can tell you today. But, hey, sure. break, we're inside the video game uh, empire yes, of Caillou <laughs> Blue Kelly. There it is. Herm Edwards coming up, plus our big splash. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Beautiful Monday in the Pacific Northwest. Great show today. Herm Edwards coming up top of the hour. Deshaun Watson is our big splash. No doubt about it. Let's do it. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, representatives for Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson are not happy today. He got a six-game suspension. Former Judge Sue Robinson said six games. 26-year-old Watson was accused of sex assault and sexual misconduct by at least 25 women who filed civil lawsuits. He settled all but one of those. No criminal charges, but the NFL has the authority to suspend players under the personal conduct policy, and there is precedent for this. Ben Roethlisberger, Ezekiel Elliott, both suspended six games without criminal charges. Deshaun Watson getting six games himself. He will only lose $333,000 in salary for the season. He'll still get his full $44.9 million signing bonus. That's all part of the $230 million guaranteed deal he signed with the Browns this offseason. He also made his full salary last year with the Houston Texans, despite sitting out the full season. Six games, to me, felt like about the number that the NFL knew it could get away with without facing a lawsuit from Watson. And in the end, I think the NFL wanted this to go away probably as badly as Deshaun Watson did. I think that is what today was about. Stephen, what would you make of Deshaun Watson? 
Sean, what did you make of him getting six games? I certainly wanted it to be more than six games, but just based off other suspensions, and it, I know it doesn't seem – it seems more serious than weed or gambling, but – like the gambling thing with Calvarilli, he got a year for that. The NFL can't have that look on them as a company. They just they have to put out a message for that. So six games, I think it's probably about right. Even though I think it should have been, I would have given it more because I think the uh, the things were just harsh what he was doing. So I wish for more, but I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I- I know I'm not alone here, but I mean, Calvin Ridley gets 16 games for gambling uh, when he was injured. And, um, you know, we've seen marijuana suspensions for, for much more. And yet Deshaun Watson only gets six games and he gets to keep all of his money. So for me, it's just it's underwhelming. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I think a lot of people are going to be upset about this. Herm Edwards, Friday I visited with him in Los Angeles. We'll play the interview coming up next. Here, Herm in all his glory next. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. We got to talk about Bill Russell later in the show. The legacy of Bill Russell, the dominance of Bill Russell, the greatness of Bill Russell, passed away at the age of 88 over the weekend. We'll talk about Bill Russell and what he represents in sports coming up. On Friday, as part of Pac-12 Media Day, I was in Los Angeles, did a whole bunch of interviews. It's my job to do that. He really enjoyed it. It was kind of a long day. Steven, how did you feel at the end of Friday? You were there for all of it. Yeah, I got here early in the day. Uh, it was. I'm not as exhausted as you were, but yeah, it was exhausting. The challenge for me was I didn't want to ask the same damn questions over and over to everybody. So it was like, okay. They were cycle. It was like speed dating. Like they were cycling through with these ten-minute interviews, eight-minute, twelve-minute interviews, and I really like Dan Lanning was easy. Jonathan Smith was easy. Like we were just talking. Herm Edwards, which people are going to hear right here, easy. We were just talking. But the Herm Edwards interview, we got about two minutes into it, and as I mentioned earlier in the show, the Pac-12 had an issue at the venue. Everybody on Radio Row suddenly lost contact with wherever they were broadcasting. And luckily for me, we were taping the interviews while you were hearing them on a little bit of a delay. So there was no interruption for you, the listener. But Herm Edwards, bless him, uh, about two minutes into our interview, I said, Herm, uh, we got to start over. And he was like, okay, I'll sit here. We'll start over. And we did. And we started over at the top. I thought the second interview was better because he was he was warmed up a little bit. You're going to hear it here. Hey, John, yeah. dare I say yeah. the the internet going out at Pac-12 B today? Classic Pac-12. <laughs> the first the, the first part was the Wi-Fi in the morning was not great. Okay, and and I want to nitpick, but the Wi-Fi was not great. You're having a media day. Wi-Fi is kind of an important deal. But then it, I I got to blame KJR in Seattle. They were they finished their show at three. And they were rummaging around, pulling things out, pulling out Ethernet cords, and they unplugged everybody on Radio Row. So the Pac-12 scrambled to their credit. I texted uh, the Pac-12 VP of Communications the minute it happened, and within like 90 seconds they had somebody up there rummaging around trying to find out who unplugged what. But, like, yeah, it was like one of those moments where everybody was going, is this happening at Big Ten Media Day? And and you're right. But, yes. Oh, well, you know, it happens, I guess. I'll, I'll blame KJR, too. I would have been more upset had we been live on air 
at that moment because it would have pissed me off because I, I would have been like, but it, you know, luckily the only thing that was damaged was we lost about eight minutes of Herm and I talking while we thought we were still, <laughs> we were still connected and we weren't. So we had to start all the way over. Here's that second run with Herm Edwards, Arizona State football coach. Let's talk about expectations. Media day, the polls come out. You've seen them? No, I don't look at polls. You don't look at it? I never have. Don't you like your team to see it, though, if you're not picked high? Like, we're, never, no. we're never picked high. So whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. I know. You think we worry about that stuff? No, I've not really. This, I've been doing this too long. I, I don't worry about it. It's not about what other people think. It's about what you think as a team. I mean, I don't, and it, it, that's great. I love when, look, I've done your job. Yep. Okay. I'm not saying I could do it as good as you, but but, but I've been on that side of it. I coached to high school football. Okay, great. Okay. I've and, done and, your and, job. And, yeah, that's right. It's probably been better than me. <laughs> no, not so better So no than doubt me. about that. Not better. But, but I, I think the problem that I've always run into is why would I, as a player or as a coach that was in a sport, Look at what somebody else is saying that's not in the building every day. And it's almost not fair to the people that have to do that, that have to decide what well, you got to do. I was uncomfortable with that on television, too. Yeah. Hey, man, you got to. But what I did was I knew enough and I knew enough people to make calls and say, hey, man, before I gave my opinion, that's hard for you guys. Yeah. It's very difficult. And I think that's the key is, you know, look, I. I'll talk about the NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, but you're right about that. It's knowing, being sourced enough to call people and go, am I crazy for thinking this? And they'll go, yeah, you are crazy. Here's what's really going on. Right. And I think that's really – that's why I think this kind of dialogue is important. Well, I just think, you know, fan bases, what they read, and, and rightly so, that's what they read or hear, and they go, oh, well, why, you know. And they're not, th they're not there every day in the building and see what everyone else sees. Now, it still has to come together, but it's good. It's pred 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 I mean, predictions are great. I mean, yeah. it's just like, I just look at them like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't look, but I don't know. Look, I don't read it. Yeah. When I was on television, I never watched a segment that I was on. Yeah. I said it and I was done. When I was a player, High school, college, high school, you know, you always want to see your name in the paper. Okay? Yeah. But once I got into college football, I never read it, never looked at it, didn't care. Pro football, didn't look at it, didn't care. And when I became a coach, I really didn't care. Is it harder now to not hear it or because it's so, like, because you could just choose to not read the paper and you don't see it. But nowadays it's kind of out there and kid, people talking about it. No? It was great with my players. They don't even come to me about it. <laughs> They, they just know. Coach don't he don't he don't pay attention to that. Yeah. And I, and I, and I tr and it's nothing negative. It's just I don't have time to do that. Yeah. I got 115 players and a staff to try to motivate every day, and, and to get them to we got to do this right. Yeah. I, I spend my time on that. Give me an idea because I think you guys have made a real push to empower players. Mm -hmm. I read and heard a lot of stuff about. The player meetings that are happening. Why is that important? Well, it's always coach-fed, player-led, any good team. The team is only as good as the players in the locker room when no one's down there. How they, how they fix things or how they calm the emotions of teams. And it's harder now. 
because everyone in life has access to your players. Yeah. Because of that thing you just turned on yep. that phone. Yep. And that's what you're dealing with. That's the hardest thing to deal with in sports now. The phone. Who who was who is talking to your players? Yeah. Who was texting them? Where are they gathering information from? And they look at it. Mm -hmm. And if they're not emotionally strong enough to go, eh, then who's I don't I can't go down a locker room and go, man, who just texted? Yeah. They did. I'd go crazy. So the players have to control it. Yeah, that's that's a really good point too. I, I wish the phone wasn't what it is. I've got three daughters. Let me tell you, I got two. Oh. It's heartbreaking. You take the phone away, and you, I think you simplify and enrich people's lives. If the phone disappeared, like it would be a better. Well, I, I just existence. think it would be funny. I don't know if you take it away. I just think that every like, within some segment of when you have a phone, there's a point to where you can't get anything. It just shuts off. Yeah. For two hours is shut <laughs> off. You can't. That's get, it. You can no. It's gonna go black. Yeah. Now, you can call out. But you can't receive anything. I like that. Right? And it's just black. And you can't text people. You can't do any of that. You just have to have a conversation. And that's all you have in a day. Because like a bag of potato chips, there's an end to the bag. The phone, there's no, there's no end to no, the bottom of the it's, phone. And, it's just, it's, and, 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 and as soon as it's running out, they're like, their hands are shaking. <laughs> it's like, what? I mean, I mean, it's, 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 I mean practice is all with guys are sprinting to the locker room going, what was it? you didn't miss anything. Yeah. Nothing happened. He didn't miss anything. Nothing happened. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a kid that goes, Dad, I need the charger. Uh, my phone's running low. And I go, what are you at? 18%. I go, that's not low. What are you worried about? It's just, it, it, and I get it. It's just my, my, I have two daughters that, 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 that are involved in it. You know, and I, just, I shake my head. I go, okay. You, uh, you talk about 115 players. Yes. How, how do you get that thing moving in one direction? You say coach fed, player led. Well, and that's where the leadership has to come in. Because you, you can't be in all those places. You can't micromanage that many players or coaches. You can't. It's impossible. You'd go crazy. So you got to trust them. you got to give them some words of, um, uh, of, an, of encouragement, but also give them some things that you want to get established. And with the leadership group we have, it's, 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 it's unique. It's this is the message I need, guys. Yeah. And they go, Coach, we got you. And it's not like you're the coach's pet, you know. Like, I, I hate when he, and then, yeah. no, 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 good teams. No, and, and, you know, but there's help me to help you. Mm -hmm. How can I help you, coach? We, okay, now you guys got to help me. You've been around winners. I, and yes. I've, I've, co I, I've got a chance to cover winning teams. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is you see that vision, that congruency of mm -hmm. vision, it's top down. Every yes. person at the bottom understands what the person at the top is trying mm -hmm. to do. But I always feel like in football it's challenging because of the bodies, the, the agendas, the competing. And we talked about last year, I think the question that I asked you last year was how is NIL going to affect this? And you said, we don't know. Like, this guy's getting a big deal. This guy's not. How has that worked out? Is it it's, causing issues? Well, it can. It can. And the maturity of a young man has a lot to do with that. Um, his family situation might have a lot to do with that. Um, the information that he's receiving might have a lot to do with that. And you're absolutely right. One player gets this, other player gets that. Why am I not getting that? And then the one that's getting whatever says in a year, oh, if I go over here, I can get this. You can recruit your players every year. Yeah. The, the
Don't think he's with you. He might be with you one year. For now. For right now. Yeah. And so all that becomes part of the puzzle. Is that to you? Because we've seen some coaches who are getting older Mm. who go, nope, not for me. I am out. We see it in basketball. We see it in college football. There was kind of a cycle of guys who went transfer portal, NIL, I'm out. Like, that's got to be an energy drain. It's... It's not an energy, Jane. It's 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 something else on your plate now. And and it's you know the student athlete, whether we like it or not, has a voice. Yeah. And they have power. They've been empowered. Now, they got to learn how to do it as well. They got to learn how to use the power for the betterment of their sport. Yeah. You know, not not just for you personally, but for the betterment of the sport. 20 years from now so your kids your kids can reap some of these benefits yeah right and they don't sometimes they don't think about that yeah there's not a lot of long-term thinking that goes on and not, I, not know, when money gets involved in yeah it. money is always the thing that you know can can be troublesome herm edwards arizona state head coach with us quarterback position how are you feeling about it right now we have competition but we have a veteran guy that has played in, in, a, in, a, in a big conference, too. You know, so um, you always hate to lose your quarterback, but we were able to get one, too. So I like what I see thus far. How can we build it around whoever that guy is, right? Mm-hmm. And so there'll be competition the first week or so, uh, and then we got to make a decision. Because you only have so many practices. You only get so many reps. And you got to get your number one and number two ready to play. Do you think that quarterback position is different with the portal in that if a guy's not playing somewhere, he's not likely to stay if there's opportunity somewhere else? At that position in particular, it feels like we have seven transfer quarterbacks, I think, that may start this season in the Pac-12. feels like that's kind of just going to be what it is. Yeah. For intelligence. It's going to be hard to keep a really good number two. Yeah. Because of – but you always felt that way. You, you, before, you used, to feel, you used to feel this way. You ain't going to keep three of them. Yeah. One of them's going to leave. Now two, it's two. Two, 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 two. two might stay because yeah. the guy's going to graduate or, you know. Yeah. I, I, but now it's like, I got an opportunity to go somewhere else and then maybe get paid. Right. They're going to leave. Yeah, we can all see it, right? It's happening and we can all see it. And, yeah. and that, But it's conflicting because on one hand, I, I, you talk about the empowerment of athletes, and I like that part yeah, of it. Yeah, I do too. But then I go, well, wait a minute. I want you to be empowered, but I also want you to be wise. You know? That's that, and, 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 you know, uh, when you deal with young people and then prestige and a dollar value is attached to that, how do they navigate that? And who are the people that are helping them navigate that beside you as the coach? Yeah. You know? Who are the other factors that are in the room that you don't know? Yeah. And that's that's the hard part. What position group do you feel the strongest about, most confident about? On our team? Yeah. Uh, probably the defensive line. I, I think the offensive line as well because of the um, the experience they have playing. Now they haven't played together. Mm-hmm. That's the key. But Can you me? like the groups. I do. Like the players. Mm-hmm. That's good because I, I haven't heard a lot of that today. If you got an offensive line, defensive line, you can win games. Uh, that's how you got to build it. Pressure on Herm Edwards this year. Yeah. <laughs> Go. no, there's Dude. pressure on me every year. I put my own pressure on me. <laughs> 
every year. I, mean, I like that. You know, I, I just do. I, I just think that, you know what, I've always said this, and I learned this from, um, from one of my coaches. It's not pressure if you're prepared. It's not pressure if you're prepared. Herm Edwards, uh, Las Vegas not thinking much of Arizona State. Coming up next, I'll talk about the over-under win totals in college football that are on the board now and who I really like. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. John Wilner is the uh, guru of the Pac-12 conference when it comes to reporting. San Jose Mercury News reporter and former uh, colleague of mine. Uh, I worked at the Mercury News with Wilner. I was covering the NFL and Major League Baseball. He was on the Pac-12. And uh, we put our heads together and we announced this last week on this radio program that we have started a podcast. Kanzano and Wilner, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you find a podcast, you can find Kanzano and Wilner. Uh, give it a look. Subscribe. It's free. You should. It is a production of Alpha Media, so the uh, Empire, the station that you're listening to, is uh, played a hand in the production of this thing. And we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the Pac-12 conference and taking some of the conversations that we have on air in greater depth in a podcast. So if you're into the Pac-12, if you're into college football, grab Kanzano uh, and Wilner. You can subscribe now at Apple Podcasts. Uh, Stephen, let's talk for a second here, uh, and Sean as well, about Herm Edwards and about what we learned at Media Day. And I know you heard the David Shaw interview, Stephen, and I want to play a piece of this because we, you and I talked about this off air. David Shaw talked about sort of being in the weeds a little bit and lying in the weeds a little bit. And he was really, I think, interested in in uh, talking about uh, his team. And I want to cue up uh, a clip here. David Shaw talking about being a tiger in the weeds, so to speak, for people who, uh, who are interested in metaphors. David Shaw feeling it a little bit, maybe feeling like they underachieved a little bit last year. I don't know. Uh, Stephen, can you punch up that clip of David Shaw talking about being a tiger in the weeds? Ah, uh, yes. Oh, I see where you put him. I was looking in a different folder. I got it right here. You got it. Go Feeling ahead. like a tiger sitting in the weeds. Right okay. Um, we're kind of. I think we're kind of under underappreciated, undervalued. Which, as a coach, you know, you it's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, but at the same time, I think it gives our team a little bit of an edge um, that people don't expect much from us. And you, but as you say, you look at the way we've recruited. You look at the guys that we have. You go through all the um, preseason NFL stuff where people are projecting guys, and you start hearing about, well, look, look at the Stanford receivers, the Stanford quarterback, the Stanford tight end. You know, might have one of the top corners in America on your side, and the linebacking core. So I think we've got a lot of the pieces, and hopefully we can put it together this year. Stanford's over-under in Vegas for total wins this season is four and a half. They're one of the teams that jump off the board at me because I think you heard what I heard there. Uh, I think David Shaw disappointed in the season they had a year ago, three and nine. They know they got to do better. But he's got way too much talent to not be like a five-win, six-win team. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that he 
went out of his way to say we're very talented and nobody's talking about us. You need to watch out for us. Like it was kind of a warning shot. I thought John that he sent out to the whole conference and just the whole area. Just we're a good team and no one is talking about us. Like why, why is that? We are a team that have been to the BCS games. We've done 10, nine, 10 wins. A lot of these years. I liked what David Shaw had to say. And it makes me think that that four and a half number that you mentioned is going to be way over. They've got Colgate. That's one win, right? They should win that game. I think they're one of these teams where you could pick them to win any game and nobody would laugh at you. Like, you could pick them to win at Washington. You could pick them to win at Oregon. Hell, they've given Oregon fits over the year. You could pick them to win, uh, you know, against BYU or Cal, and, you know, nobody would laugh at you for that. Or Oregon State, Arizona State, Washington State, like, they're in that. But uh, they play USC early in the season. What are you looking for there, Stephen? I mean, John, I cannot wait to bet Stanford plus the points in that game. It's it's at it's at Stanford. I can't wait for USC to win by about 45 against Rice in week one, and everyone drinking the Kool-Aid of Lincoln Riley, all these transfers are going to work. And then they go into Stanford where they're going to slow it down and be physical and Davis Shaw type football. And I can't wait to bet Stanford in the points. USC may pull off and win that game. I'm not saying that, but I think Stanford's going to be able to keep it close. I do think the talent is there. Davis Shaw mentioned in your interview, they lost two guys to the transfer portal. That's it, only two. And that's such a big thing nowadays is that transfer portal of losing players. Stanford didn't lose anybody. They have a lot of talent. They're a top 20, 25 recruiting team that they usually are. I mean, John, I think this team is should at least get to six and maybe going to pull off some upsets. We saw last year. They played Oregon tough. They beat them. I think they're going to give USC a run for their money at least a week, too. USC over-under is nine wins. That's where they are on the board. And uh, for people looking and going, okay, what is Vegas thinking about? I think Vegas is looking at the game at Utah. I think they're looking at Notre Dame. And I think they might be looking at the Oregon State game as a potential loss on USC's schedule. Like, you know, could Oregon State get them in back-to-back years? I'm I'm not going to touch this one, and I'm not going to advise anybody to touch it because I feel like USC is probably an eight- to nine-win team. Like, I think that line is set pretty accurately. I don't think they're going to do better than nine wins, and I think the best you could do there is a push if you're betting the over. Uh, And I think the under is probably a better bet because I don't see them as a 10, 11, 12-win team in the regular season, and I think you could make some money if USC has some issues getting the, the talent to gel, and maybe they win eight, maybe they win seven, and have an off year in Lincoln Riley's first year. Am I am I too down on USC, guys? I don't think so at all, and I don't know what Sean thinks, but when you talk about that, I think USC has such a high ceiling and a low floor because we've never seen it in college football with all these transfers coming in, especially at the skill positions. We've seen it in the basketball where transfers can work in the year one. We've never seen it in football. You know, Transfer portal is so new, but USC – most of their main guys that are going to be on offense are all from different schools the year before. So with the new coach, new players, is it going to take a little bit to gel? I don't know. And so I'm very I'm very concerned if I'm a USC fan for year one. I think the expectations are a little too high for them. Uh, I do like Lincoln Riley as a coach. I think he's going to get them on the right track, and they're going to be a college football playoff team very soon. But I think this is the year, if you want to bet against USC, this is the year to do it. Yeah, I think there's an opportunity there. There was, uh, you know, Bill Plaschke of the L.A. Times wrote a column off Media Day in which he said, this is the most talked about team in L.A. We're talking about the Rams coming off a Super Bowl, the Dodgers being a power, the Lakers being the Lakers. Plaschke's writing that USC is the team, and the pressure's on Lincoln Riley. And I have to say, like, I was there. I, I spent some time with Lincoln Riley. 
Didn't want to like him. I liked him more than I wanted to. You know, uh, Caleb Williams, uh, I find the whole, you know, the error of USC obnoxious. I got to say that I walked away from my interview with Caleb Williams a little bit underwhelmed with him. I feel like he's not a guy who understands team in the ways that some other quarterbacks do. And I think a great contrast to that was I think Cameron Ward, Washington State's quarterback, came in. We talked about name, image, likeness. We talked about the transfer portal. He talked about getting out and throwing with guys and being around his teammates and trying to get his offensive linemen more name, image, likeness money. And I found, like, I think guys will follow Cameron Ward. Like Washington State's players, I think he's a natural leader. They'll follow him. Caleb Williams is buying, like, Dre Beats headphones for his teammates, and he's doing all the the things that are gesture-like, but I also thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you guys caught this in our interview Friday. I asked him about other sports he played. They were all individual sports. He plays football as a team sport, but everything else he did was swimming and whatever else. It was all individual, and I wonder at some point, especially in a year where you have so many transfers on offense, how does that guy bring everybody together? I kind of wonder if USC is going to struggle with sort of just the culture of the program. And you know, and I think Lincoln Riley will get there, but year one, I would not be surprised if USC in the first half of the season loses a couple games they shouldn't lose. Yeah, USC is going to be a really interesting case study um, of just chemistry, how much it matters, like chemistry versus talent. Because we haven't really seen a team put together like this, at least that I can remember in college football, like kind of just a, a huge mix of talented transfer portal players. Um, I, I'm personally probably higher on USC than um, both you, John, and Steven. Uh, I think they just have a ton of talent. Obviously, they added some really dynamic guys. And we have to remember that their team last year was talented. Like, they, they've always recruited pretty well. And, you know, last year, them only getting... You know, their their season last year wasn't really an indication of their talent. It felt like everyone just kind of gave up when Clay Helton uh, got fired. So I think this team's unbelievably talented. I don't really think Lincoln Riley's ever had a bad team, like a non-college football playoff team. So I think they're going to be really good in year one. I would probably take the over in the nine wins. I don't think their schedule is, is that tough, avoiding Oregon. And John, yeah. you talked about Caleb Williams. It, he came across as trying to be... A professional quarterback almost, right? Mm-hmm. Like you talk about buying beat, the beats by Dre headphones for his teammates. It's not like the classic, you know, camaraderie, uh, chemistry type thing. It's, you know what, I'm going to buy you guys these things. I'm looking to forward my career into the NFL. It, it seemed a little more professional uh, just with all the money around college football. And maybe that's going to be more commonplace. But it really did seem that way that he was almost trying to, you know, portray himself as that franchise quarterback already. Yeah, they were, you know, I, I think. They were trying to get him in a position where, you know, they were trying to connect him with media. But this is what people didn't see. He showed up in a Gucci suit. I did not bring it up in the interview. Okay? There were some other players that were there in in sweatpants and polo shirts and sneakers. And Caleb Williams came in a suit that had the, obviously, the Gucci label on his wrist. And he set his hand on the table. And I think he wanted me to ask him about it, and I didn't. And we just started talking, and, and, and I don't want to hold it against him because, you know, I, God forbid, like, I was interviewed as a college kid. Like, I would have embarrassed myself, like, back in the day. Put me, at, like, at 21, 22 years old in front of a microphone and a camera. I would have embarrassed myself. And I think he conducted himself just fine. 
but I just left the interview try, fighting, little wrestling a little bit with whether or not uh, my – and I told Anna this. Like, I saw her that night, and she said, what interviews stuck with you? And I, and I talked about Dan Lanning. I had a fantastic interview with Dan Lanning. I think it was great. Lanning texted me on Friday night. He said, the interview we did was the most fun I had, and I agree. It was the most fun interview that I did all day long. We talked about movies and Goonies and his kids, and it was in a little bit of football, and it was great. But the other interview I told her about was Caleb Williams. And I said, I'm not going to be surprised if this guy doesn't become what everybody expects him to become. And frankly, the expectations for him, it's like the name Patrick Mahomes has come, comes up when people talk about Caleb Williams. And we're talking about a guy that, you know, yeah, he threw for 1,900 yards and 21 touchdowns. But we're talking about a guy that, what, has seven starts last year at Oklahoma? Like, and, and I think that it's a to-be-determined situation. He's in a great offense with a great coach who knows how to put him in position to succeed. But I'm not going to be surprised if he's not the first-team all-conference quarterback at the end of the year. I left thinking more about Cam Rising and Cameron Ward than I did about Caleb Williams. And, yeah. and I think that could be a problem. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Cam Ward came across really well in, in his interview you know, uh, he talked about just how he needs to get better knowing his teammates, right? Because he's coming in from Incarnate Word. He doesn't know his teammates as well as he needs to know them. He needs to get that better. He has all the – he even said, like, basically, I feel comfortable on the field with all the things going on, but I need to get them to know better. You know, it's it's two different philosophies. I don't know what's going to work, but it will be interesting to see what happens this year. All right, here here's something else, too. Like, when you talk about Caleb Williams and you talk about what he did last year, he started seven games, okay? You know, he started games against ranked opponents three times in the regular season. He went one and two in those games. He lost to Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. He lost to Baylor. And I, I keep, I go, I keep thinking back and going. You know, I, I, of course he's talented. You take him on your team a hundred times out of a hundred times. But I, there's something going on there. There's some spider senses tingling that are telling me that maybe. The kid struggles a little bit. Maybe, uh, you know, the, the lack of offensive linemen last season at USC bites the Trojans a little bit on this one. I I, I think, Sean, look, I'm not going to begrudge you. You could end up being smart for saying over nine wins. I just keep I, I keep seeing seven or eight, maybe nine, I not, think, not more. I think Duck fans, you know, obviously Mario Cristobal was gone by then, but he, he dominated the Ducks uh, in the Alamo Bowl last yes, year. Looking did. at his stats, 21 of 27. 242 and three touchdowns. So yeah. I, I know that was kind of de a depleted and kind of mentally drained Oregon team, but I really liked what I saw from him there. So, yeah. uh, you know, no, there was no cave on Thibodeau. Oregon was, you know, Oregon didn't make the, didn't beat Utah. Or Oregon's end of the season with Mario Cristobal gone. I just think it was, you know, not a good comparison for what we're going to see this year. But I don't blame you for buying it. Let's see who's right in the end. You saying over. Sean's saying over. He's, he's got a phone call now. Sean, yeah. Sean's the over. I, I'm with you, John. I think the under is would be my bet. I think they got eight wins written all over him. Uh, we'll take your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Plus, later in the show, John Gaines the third, Catman, UCLA's offensive lineman, John Gaines. I'm going to play a little bit of that interview coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
I'm not ready to say that Caleb Williams is going to be a bust. But I got some uh, I got some reasonable doubt out of our interview. Granted, it was 10 minutes on Friday. There were just some things I saw, and I wondered. I go, gosh, is he more interested in the flash of L.A. and getting to USC and uh, you know being Caleb Williams instead of being a leader and a guy who's going to take his team uh, through fire in the Pac-12 conference and try to make a run at the playoff. Like, I felt better about Cam Rising. I felt better about Cameron Ward, uh, two QBs that I saw almost back-to-back-to-back. And, look, you get an idea. You know what I thought about is I thought about the NFL as they are interviewing QBs for prior to the draft. And I thought to myself, gosh, if I were an NFL scout, forget the football for a second, I liked Cameron Ward much better than I liked Caleb Williams in that interview that I did. And I thought Cameron Ward was uh, a better leader, more connected to his teammates. Uh, I thought he was smarter than Caleb Williams. And in the end, uh, I kind of left thinking, gosh, is Caleb Williams going to be a weak link? Now, granted, Lincoln Riley's offense is fantastic. He's going to put Caleb Williams in position to succeed. And, yes, he torched Oregon in that Alamo Bowl. But I, yeah, by, by the time Oregon got to that Alamo Bowl, I didn't think much of Oregon. I'll take your phone calls, 503-417-7575. Am I being too hard on Caleb Williams? Roy's in Portland. Roy, welcome. Hey, John. Man, I totally agree with you, man. I'm not really um, – the whole U.S. – I'll put USC in there. They, I, I think they had a feeling with getting Lincoln Riley – that they're just going to roll their helmets on the football field and win. Anytime you're a first-year coach in a, in, in, in a, in a new league, I, I, I don't care who you are, you're going to struggle that first year. Because when you got veteran coaches like a David Shaw, okay, he, it's not his first barbecue. You're just not going to walk into Stanford and not think you're going to have a tough game. They're going to be up for that game. They're going to be ready for you. Same thing with Utah. Same thing with UCLA. I'm not. I, I got. I got USC getting six to seven wins this year because they have no defense. First of all. Second of all, you in a new conference. I don't care what you did in the Big Twelve. This is not the Big Twelve. And when you got veteran coaches, and all these teams play Pac-12, I will give it. They play better defense than the Big Twelve teams. So you're not just going to be running up the score like you was in the Big Twelve. Okay. Uh, another thing, I said the same thing for Dan Lane. Dan Lane may be a great coach, but like you said, you don't know what you don't know. You never coached a head, you never been a head coach, and you never coached in the Pac-12. So I'm not. I mean, he never. Dan Lane never been to Washington State. He never been to. Uh, you know, he never played Stanford. These teams, you can't just look at these teams and say, how many times have we looked at at teams like Stanford and said, well, Oregon got a better team than, and Stanford still beat them. So, I mean, you know, these first-year head coaches in the Pac-12 think it's going to be easy. I'm telling you, for USC and Oregon, it's not going to work out the way, you, in my opinion. I got Utah winning the whole conference again because, once again, Kyle Winningham, a veteran coach in the Pac-12, he knows the lay of the land, and I just think that means a lot. So, uh, Caleb Williams, man, I don't know. You know, these new quarterbacks, man, he hasn't really done anything. So, I mean, if he, he wants to get the hype, I, I hate when these quarterbacks and players, period, get hype before they actually do anything. And I feel sorry for them that they be put in this position. But, man, you know, sometimes you got to be humble, man, before you actually do things. You know, I think that kind of got Baker Mayfield 
Uh, look at Spencer Rattler. Wasn't he supposed to be the great next greatest thing? Oklahoma before Caleb Williams. So, you know, I, I, it's going to be real interesting with USC and Oregon this year because I, I, I don't – I got both of them winning seven games. So. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you, and I think there could be some opportunities for programs like Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, uh, Cal to pick up wins in games when nobody's expecting them to win. Uh, I agree on Caleb Williams. I just I, I I there I can't put my finger on it. I left the interview, and I went, huh. Wasn't blown away by the kid, but then the interview aired, and I got emails from people who were listening to the show who said. Really impressed with Caleb Williams. What did you guys think, Stephen? You heard you heard that interview with Caleb Williams. What'd you think of him? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing I keep going back to is he, like you said, it would have to be hard. He's 19 years old, right? With all this hype around him, I thought he did a good job for that. If I were to be interviewed on a big stage like that at his age, I probably would be terrible as well. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But again, I thought he tried to come across as too uh, too polished almost, and that has yeah, he has everything figured out. So. I am so interested to see how this US team, USC team does uh, with Caleb Williams at the forefront. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they play, how he performs, and if they lose games, uh, if he ends up being the scapegoat. I want you to leave it here. John Gaines, UCLA offensive lineman, coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. UCLA offensive lineman John Gaines joined me on Friday for an interview. I think you're going to love this. What's it like to play for Chip Kelly? Uh, I was his first recruiting class, so I think the biggest thing for me is he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I came from the middle of Wisconsin, 18-year-old, 250-pound lineman, and he called me personally and asked me to come on an official visit. So he's always worked to empower his players, and I think that's – because anything that speaks to that is that. Yeah. What made you want to go on that visit? Was it Chip Kelly? Was it UCLA? What was the draw to you? So I was a Princeton commit actually beforehand, so I was always going to look for a high academic school. Mm. Um, and UCLA – Gave me an opportunity to go out to the West Coast. The weather. Yeah. I got on the plane. It was 80 degrees when I got off the plane. So yeah. that was easy. But You're like, like done. Yeah. Just the history <laughs> of academic and, and athletic excellence. Like, for me, it was, you get the best of both worlds. Yeah. It, it, giving up Princeton was tough, though, wasn't that? Yeah. It might have been a little pause there. Yeah. I, uh, uh, Princeton doesn't offer scholarships. So it was yeah. free school or paying for school. So yeah. that kind of answered any okay. other question. Okay. Done, yeah. done with that. Um, you guys were uh, – Improved last year, a lot of expectations this year. There's some talk maybe maybe UCLA could win this thing. What would that mean to you to to you know emerge this year as a conference champion? It would mean that the work is the work has paid off for what we set forth as a goal. You know, the biggest thing for us is that you can set all these goals, you can set all these expectations, but those expectations come to fruition because you work for it. You know, and we can't look that far ahead. You got to focus on every single day getting better every single day, building on what you need to improve on. I want to ask you this because I think, I, you know, you you and your teammates didn't make the decision to leave for the Big Ten. Won't even You probably won't even, you know, you'll probably be gone to the NFL by the time that all happens, right? But you're going to go into some Pac-12 stadiums and these fans are going to, they're going to take it out on you. Um, what do you think about that? I don't think it's any different than what we're used to. I mean, Fans are going to talk trash. Honestly, it's it's fun going yeah. into hostile environments. We love away games here, and 
I mean, the words might be different, but it's still the same sentiment. Like, they don't like us because we're UCLA, and that's what you would expect of, of, of opposing fans. Yeah. You can't be mad about it. Did you grow up a Packers fan? I did not. Who's I, your team in the NFL? My, uh, my parents are from Indianapolis. So okay. I was a Colts fan, more specifically a Peyton Manning fan. Yeah. So watching the Colts and then Broncos. And then ever since he uh, retired, just any good games. Like, yeah. I just like good football. You know what? I think a lot of young people watch players, favorite players, versus favorite teams. Yeah. You know, I think that changed. Yeah. I don't know what changed that. Maybe it was guys like Peyton Manning who were jumping around. Like, yeah. there's no forever players anymore. And I think it's more so just like, you know, players, as we've seen media grow, players get to have their own personality shown mm-hmm. a little bit more. And me personally, like, I'm sort of a control freak. Yeah. And I always thought it was so cool how Peyton Manning could just control the huddle like no other player, right? Yeah. And just the way, like, his mind worked around the game of football was something yeah. that I really wanted to emulate in my game, right? Like, I take a lot of pride in knowing what I'm doing and not making mistakes, and I think that's something that I got from him. You know, you say control freak. Like, how bad is it? What would surprise us? We go to we go to your place. You know, what are we gonna see that we go? Oh, John, come on. It's not it's not super bad. Yeah. I think I'm uber competitive, and I think when we compete is when it comes out more. Yeah. Like, for example, playing Warzone, like Call yeah. of Duty Warzone. Like, I'm trying to tell everybody on the team exactly what to do because yeah. I'm like I know better. Let's get it down, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I saw you talking to Washington State's uh, Ron Stone Jr. as you were walking in, and you were talking about – were you talking about some game you guys played? or? Oh, what was no. I was, he was working the camera earlier. I think he got oh. posted on Twitter page. He was good okay. camera work. He did know? some camera work. Yeah. Versatile guy. Yeah, versatile. That's, that's it. Uh, give me, tell me about your side hustle. You got a side hustle in your life? Uh, no side hustle, nothing that makes money, but passions, uh, video games, cooking, and cats. 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 I got really? Three, I got three cats, yeah. Three? Three, yeah. But I, are you not a dog person? I love dogs, too, but dogs from me are just so cliche. <laughs> cats. Also, well, my roommate, Odo, he actually plays a cow now. He just yeah. transferred. Um, he has, we got a cat together during the pandemic, you know, just something we had the free time. And, yeah. you know, being a football player, your time's always taken. Yeah. So cats take care of themselves almost. And, like, you get a bunch of cats, like three cats, like they're chilling. They're a little family themselves, and then we get to come back. So you're like the cat guy. Yeah, I'm there's the cat no, guy. There's no cat lady. There's cat guy <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the team. Uh, but it, people are probably surprised by that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I guess. I'm a pretty calm nature guy. Yeah. And, like, people know I'm pretty, I'm pretty quiet, keep to myself. So, like. Having cats in my house isn't the most surprising to people here. You know? Is there a battle battle over L.A. right now with UC, USC getting a bunch of attention? You guys you know, had a great year last year. Yeah, I there's, mean. feels like it's, there's a lot at stake here. we got to focus on what's in front of us, and that means tomorrow. What am I going to do to be prepared for camp that starts next week? And then every single day at camp, how am I going to get better at my technique? The game will be there when the game's there. Of course, you know, we love getting the victory belt. We love ringing it. We love painting it blue and having to stay blue this year, right? But we can't get caught up in all that stuff. It's it's great. It's cool attention, but, like, that'll come when it comes. You know? Yeah, don't get too far ahead. Uh, it feels like you learn a lot from Chick Kelly. I oh, hear yeah. I hear some of what in your words. Yeah. I'm, I don't think he's brainwashed you, no. but I think there's an influence there yeah. uh, from Chip Kelly, isn't there? Yeah, and I think he definitely does a great job of recruiting like-minded people. So that's that mentality is something that my parents taught me too. Like, you can only control what you can control. Um, I have this tattoo on me. You can see it, but yeah. because it says that's life. Yeah. I came, uh, my dad was actually diagnosed with kidney cancer in 2018. Um, he told me early 2019 when I went home for winter break, um, I broke down, of course, but he told me, like, that's life. I've got to handle my responsibilities still. Like, he still has to be there for my mom. Like, that doesn't change, and that's just a mentality that I've always seen him carry, and that's what I carry with me now. How's he doing? He's doing well. He's on the transplant list now. So that's great. He's waiting for the call. That's awesome, man. That's that's good. You know, there's so many things that are bigger than football, exactly, aren't there? Exactly. Exactly. You know? 
Bigger than cats, too, though. Come on. I, I, I just, I'm not saying that I couldn't find love for a cat. Yeah. But I just feel like more of a dog person. I get that. I get that. You know? Everybody says that, then they get a kitten, and then you don't. <laughs> and then it's on. Yeah, and it's on. You know what? One, I was talking to somebody earlier. I can't remember who it was who is breeding dogs. One of the organ players. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's he's become a – that's his side hustle. He's breeding dogs. Could you breed cats? Is there a market for cats? Oh, for sure. There's more cats owned in America than dogs. Yeah, it's like 88 million 75, but for me, <laughs> why I know those numbers off the top of my head, we're not going to talk about it. But for me, um, I adopt all my cats, so they're all spayed and neutered. So oh, like, that's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, probably not for me. but You're a good person, man, I can tell. Thank you. You know that? I mean, you you could tell your parents, the influence your parents had on you. And you know, Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother and an older sister. They're, there's a lot of them in me. You're too. the baby. I'm the baby. By like uh, my... My sister's seven years older. My brother's almost ten. Yeah. Did any of them play sports? My brother played basketball. My sister played basketball, volleyball, softball. Yeah. Did it all. Yeah. It's fantastic. Okay. So if I if I went to you in grade school in Wisconsin and I said, look, uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be playing at UCLA one day, and John Gaines is second, sitting in third row in elementary school, would you believe? I wouldn't have believed you at all. Really? I actually struggled with imposter syndrome when I first got here, coming from so far away, being really lowly recruited. Um, I never saw myself here. I, mm. My recruiting picked up really fast, and it was a lot of schools really quick. So for me, I was like, "Is do I even belong here?" Right? Yeah. Um, having to work through that mental struggle now, like I'm completely confident in myself sitting here. Yeah. But that came through talking with my family, talking with my sister specifically, talking with my coaches. That really helped me understand that I belong to be here. And like I was saying, Coach Kelly saw that in me before I saw it in myself. When was there a moment where that switch flipped for you, and you were like, "I, I belong here"? I was probably. Um, Halfway through the COVID season, I say. And then last season was a really big thing for me, too. Being able to play center at the beginning of the games, like I said, being a control freak, right? Like, I felt like I had a very big impact on the outcome of our games and how the offensive line played. And then carrying that confidence over to guard and then sprinkling mm -hmm. in the tackle. Like, that, that meant a lot to me. And especially this year, like, like I'm a driving force of this offensive line, and I'm a leader on this team for a reason. John Gaines the third UCLA offensive lineman. Good stuff with him. Got to know him a little bit. Big giant guy. Loves cats. Uh, he was headed to an Ivy League school before UCLA stepped in and Chip Kelly started recruiting him. That's uh, the reference he made to, hey, Chip believed in me before I believed in myself. Nobody else offered him. Interesting study there. Coming up, top of the hour, the five at five. Plus, we'll talk a whole bunch more about college football. Jed Fish. The coach at Arizona had a great talk with him. And Washington's hulking offensive lineman, Jackson Kirkland. You'll hear from him in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Really good stuff. I appreciate that you're along for the ride here and tuned into this show. But we'll give you the five things you need to know. They are coming up after the break. The 5 at 5, right? Or the 5, the big 5? What did we settle on? The, that, the 5 big things. Next. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Happy hour is upon us. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We'll catch you up on everything that's going on in sports. Big week of radio still ahead. Got some big guests coming down the pipeline. We're going to go into enemy territory as well as we'll talk to... Uh, those who cover Georgia football and those who cover Boise State football. And we'll try to get a handle on Oregon and Oregon State's early season opponents on this show. It's never too early to talk college football. 
this hour as well, Jed Fish, head coach, Arizona, will be uh, hearing from him. And Jackson Kirkland, offensive lineman, University of Washington. He was the biggest dude in the building at Pac-12 Media Day. Get a, get a sense of what is on tap for Washington football and Arizona football. Before all that, though, we got a whole bunch of things to get to in the 5 at 5. There's some news among it. Here it is, the five biggest things going on. The 5 at 5. Well, Pittsburgh football coach Pat Narduzzi thinks that name image likeness rules were probably violated in the spring. He was pointing at Jordan Addison's decision to transfer from Pitt to USC. Without naming either one of those entities specifically, he said, quote, I don't think there's any question, end quote, that players were tempted with inducements one way or another. Addison won the Bolitnikoff Award last December. He is the nation's best college football receiver, and then he jumped into the portal just before the May 1st deadline, transferring to USC. Narduzzi said he'd like to see guardrails on the NIL rules. He called the current setup a pathway for backroom deals. He's in his eighth season at Pitt. Panthers won the ACC championship last fall. Narduzzi wants boosters out of the game. Keep an eye on that. Pat Narduzzi talking about name, image, likeness. That's number one. Number two, Deshaun Watson. We've talked about Deshaun Watson for now more than a year. Civil lawsuits, no criminal lawsuits, but the Cleveland quarterback is going to serve a six-game suspension without pay. He will not be fined for violating the league's personal conduct policy. A disciplinary officer and former judge, Susan Robinson, ruled on this today. She issued a 15-page report. She wrote that the NFL recommended that Watson be suspended for the entire regular season and postseason. Now, the Players Association has until 6 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday to file a written appeal of the ruling. I don't think they're going to do that. In fact, the Players Association seems like it's content to sit and let Watson serve the six-game suspension. But in the end, he loses about $333,000 in salary, and the distraction continues as Deshaun Watson will not be there with the Cleveland Browns to start the season. He suspended six games. That's number two. Number three, Kyler Murray's had a rough go in the last couple weeks. His contract extension was leaked out, or the details of it was leaked out. He had a clause in there that pointed out he had to put in four hours a week of prep. It made Kyler Murray look bad. I think it was poor form by the Cardinals. Now Murray has tested positive for COVID-19. He will miss a minimum of five days of training camp unless he can come up with a negative test in the interim. His symptoms are said to be minor. His coach said that uh, Murray felt poor and he had cold-like symptoms before taking the test. If he does test negative, he can return to the field sooner than five days. He also has a sore wrist and they talked about him missing practices before that. So here you go. Kyler Murray, welcome back to football, kind of. That's number three. Number four in our five at five, MLB trade deadline. 
The Astros got first baseman slash outfielder Trey Mancini from the Orioles. They also picked up Christian Vasquez from the Boston Red Sox. Seeing a whole bunch of deals at the deadline here as the Major League Baseball postseason starts to take shape. Yankees picked up a couple of pitchers from the Oakland Athletics as well. Uh, and, you know, everybody at the deadline trying to figure out what, you know, how to fortify their pitching staff and find that extra piece that can put them over the top. I find Major League Baseball's trade deadline a little distracting. It sneaks up on you. We're busy talking about college football at the end of summer. Doesn't have like a uh, uh, a big-time team slash player. There's no Kevin Durant storyline in Major League Baseball. So I think it falls a little bit flat. But it, these decisions and these moves always matter down the stretch. Finally, the fifth thing in our five at five. If you're an Oregon Ducks basketball fan, look out. Andrew Nemec has tweeted out, and Andrew Nemec works at Scorebook Live, a prediction. Two five-star basketball players, Kwame Evans Jr. and Mookie Cook, about to make decisions. Nemec is predicting on Scorebook Live and on Twitter that both of these players are going to pick Oregon. This would be huge for Dana Altman to get two five-star players. This would be big for the Oregon Ducks basketball program. If they do this, it will give Oregon two of the nation's top seven prospects. It's been a roller coaster for the Ducks this uh, recruiting cycle. They got Jackson Shellstad out of West Lynn High School. But now, uh, at one time, uh, Mookie Cook, who was the number four overall prospect, committed to Oregon, then decommitted. And then Evans was supposed to be leaning towards Arizona. But in the end, it turns out these two guys may want to play together and they may want to play at Oregon. Keep an eye on this. This is our fifth thing in our five at five. Appreciate you being here. Let's kick those things around. How big would it be uh, for Dana Altman and his coaching staff to add Kwame Evans Jr. and Mookie Cook, number four and number seven, if you're looking at the, uh, the list of prospects nationally, to the Ducks fold? Uh, this is supposed to happen tomorrow uh, at the soonest, so there may be some news tomorrow on this front. Guys, what do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, it would be huge, and I I have a lot of respect for Dana Altman as a X's and O's coach as well. So I think, you know, to get that type of talent, Dana Altman is going to work best with it, and they always seem to play well when it comes towards a February, March, those type of months. So I think it would be huge for Oregon. They've already proven they can get to the Final Four. They got there a few years ago. I think for the Ducks, obviously, this would be such a huge thing. Uh, Sean, as our resident Duck, I know he's probably uh, just giddy right now. Yeah, totally. Uh, remind me, John, is this 2023 or 2022? 2023. Okay, so this is for the – yeah, so right now it's just Jackson Shellstad in the 2023 class. They do have a talented – 2022 class, Kalel Ware, uh, most notably, is a five-star center, one of the top players in the country. So, yeah, I mean, the more that they can uh, they can add to the roster, I mean, they obviously lost some experienced players from last season, and they didn't have a great season last year. So I, I look for them to hopefully add uh, some of the most talented players in in the country. I mean, that's kind of the, the standard. It looks like Evans is leaning hard towards Oregon. There are some others that are predicting he's going to pick Oregon, not Arizona. Uh, that's quite a flip-flop because it was like two weeks ago I checked this last. Like, I don't stay on top of this recruiting stuff all the time, but I kind of just peek in at it and then leave. And then uh, I saw Nemec's tweet today, and I went, wow, like Evans I thought was going to Arizona. Now, I, now it looks like he's going to pick Oregon. 
and it looks like this will be a package deal. Now, if they get both these players, Oregon's 2023 class would jump to number three nationally if you add these two together. So that would be big for Dana Altman. Let's talk uh, Major League Baseball trade deadline. Guys, why isn't the MLB trade deadline as big as the NBA trade deadline? Well, I think it's just because it's baseball. Like, that's just the easiest <laughs> definition to say why it is is because I don't think as many people care about it. But I think if you are a baseball fan, it's been – pretty relevant the last few years that teams make big moves and then it helps them in the playoff push so you know the Padres getting Josh Hader in the bullpen they've been rumored to get Juan Soto I mean their team is really good the Dodgers are rumored to get Juan Soto as well so I think that's the biggest piece right you talk about a Kevin Durant size piece Shohei Otani may have been that guy but the Angels said they're not going to trade him so it's Juan Soto if he gets traded I mean that could really change the dynamic of all of baseball I also think it's interesting that Deshaun Watson's suspension is not going to be appealed. Why isn't the NFL Players Association interested in appealing six games? I think I know the answer, guys. But Deshaun Watson's getting six games. It does not look like the Players Association's going to go, hey, that's not fair, because I think they're running to the bank going, uh, you know what, this thing needs to be over. We need to be talking about something else. Right. I mean, the season's getting closer, and it feels like Deshaun Watson has been the top story in the NFL ever since the Super Bowl, really. Um, it's been, like you said earlier in the show, it's been uh, a while that we've been talking. We've been talking about this for years, really. So uh, I think that the the NFLPA, they're probably, from a marketing standpoint, hoping that the narrative it, it closes on Deshaun Watson and the narrative starts pointing towards the actual play and the actual season. I just, I can't believe that it's only going to be six games. I thought it was such an easy way to really make a message and try to show that it's not all about football and all not about money and to show some respect for some, you know, for women and children, like, but it's just not going to be that way. So, you know, six games seems about right for the NFL. Like that's what I kind of thought worst case scenario for me was I thought it'd be more and it's just not going to be. So it's a little disappointing in my mind. I also think like, you know, the part of this that's more disappointing to me isn't necessarily the six-game suspension. I, I'm disapp I remain disappointed with the Cleveland Browns because they structure his, his contract in, in a way in which he's only going to lose $300,000. Like, to me, that's part of it is you've got an NFL franchise that's enabling him and saying, hey, look, we were kind of gaming this contract knowing you were going to take a hit and missed some games. We knew a suspension was coming, but we did it anyway. And, in fact, we're going to help you not get penalized in the way that, that you should be. Like, I would feel much better if we were looking at, like, Deshaun's losing $15 million because he's mix, missing six games versus, A, he's losing $300,000 because they only paid him a million dollars in his year one contract. So they helped him out. And I see why Deshaun Watson is doing what he's doing. He But – it makes me sad and upset that he hasn't shown any remorse for what he's done. He's he keeps on saying he's done nothing wrong, but when it's up to you know in the twenties of women that have alleged this, you're obviously not doing something right. Like there's, there's something wrong in my mind. But what's the, what's the deal with all the settlements? Like settlements don't necessarily mean guilt, right? But he's been he's been settling a lot of the cases. So what's the what's the meaning of that? Yeah, he's got he wants them to go away, and he knows that if they go to trial, he's going to. Uh, there, there could potentially be some other things that come out. So I think he's super interested in putting this behind him in the quietest way that he can possibly do it. And it's and after these six games when he comes back, yeah, he might get booed for this year or you know a couple of games or a whole season. But after this year, I feel like it's going to be one of those things that gets brushed aside and we're all just going to say, oh, he's a talented quarterback who's maybe you know a top five quarterback in the NFL. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's been other there's been other NFL players that maybe earlier in their career they had some kind of uh, off the field incident. Like you know, you think of Ben Roethlisberger, you think of other, you know, like Ray Lewis. Even if you're thinking about alleged things that were never really proved guilty, and then eventually the narrative kind of changes the more and more they play. So I think you're right. Like we 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 have very short term memory with all these things. What do you guys think? Like you know. Do you think that his play will be affected? Is he been distracted, or is Deshaun Watson going to go out and just play lights out, and then we're going to go, you know what, none of this mattered in the end? I think he's going to be awesome, and maybe that's just me thinking he's that talented, but I have no reason to think that he's not going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL when he's playing this year because when he was with the Texans, that Texans team was not a very good team, and he kept leading them to the playoffs. And I know the division wasn't very good, but he did it, and it was all on his shoulders. So I think he's going to do the same thing in Cleveland where they actually have some talent around him. And my gut kind of goes the other way. I feel like he, his mind hasn't been on football, and he's not going to be as sharp because of it. I just wonder how much the time off, the distraction factors. And frankly, how about this? The the factor that he's playing for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, you know, look, we've seen them be better. We know they have talent. You know, it isn't like the Cleveland Browns have been bad forever, but it feels like they've been bad forever. I just wonder how much this is a marriage of a distracted player and a franchise that, yeah, in 2020 won 11 games, but before that you had to go back to 2007 when they won 10, and then before that you had to go back to 1994. Those are the only, you know, double-digit win totals they have they have posted, you know, it, since, you know, I left college. So it's like... In the end, I'm looking at this going, okay, we got a garbage franchise, we got a bad situation, talented quarterback, heavily distracted. It's like a sociology experiment. Yeah, I mean, but if you're the Browns, I understand why they did it. I mean, to get a guy that talented at age of 26, that's why they did it. And you talk about just how bad they've been. We forget because Baker Mayfield, for all of his problems, he actually led them to the playoffs, but he was the first overall pick because the Browns were the worst team in the NFL. Now to get a guy like Deshaun Watson in there, man, I understand what they're doing, but just morally and you know, it just it hurts my heart a little bit that this is what the Browns have to do to be uh, successful. Yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like that's it. It's the Cleveland Browns being the Cleveland Browns. Like it's, yeah, I get what they're doing, the logic of it. I also think it's awfully short-sighted. And look out, uh, won't be surprised if this uh, this story doesn't fully go away for Deshaun Watson. I want you to leave it here. Coming up, uh, we'll talk to Jed Fish, the Arizona coach, and a whole bunch more. Jackson Kirkland, biggest guy at Pac-12 Media Day. You'll hear his interview as well. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Arizona coach Jed Fish was interesting. Like, there's not a lot of hype around Arizona. But when you look at the predictions for win totals this season, uh, Arizona, the over-under on them is two and a half wins. Jed Fish and I visited on Friday. We talked some football. I think I offended you last year. I called your time in New England sabbatical. <laughs> it might be the worst question I've ever asked. Is that what you called it? I said you might have called me at the end of the day. I, I said, you know, you've been away. You know, you're you've been on a sabbatical from college football, and you said, well, I wouldn't call Bill Belichick a sabbatical. Yeah. So, so I apologize for that. Oh no problem. Kicking myself, but but there you go. Hey, what's the goal this year? Uh, to be better, to be a better team, to play all four quarters. Uh, we didn't play well enough in the fourth quarter of a lot of games. 
And uh, whether that be because of depth, whether that be because of mental toughness, whether it be physical toughness, whatever it might have been, we just didn't get it done in the fourth quarter. We were outscored by about 40 points. And uh, that's our goal. Our goal is to play all four quarters and see what that looks like. Quarterback-centric game. You got Jaden Delora among the quarterbacks in your room now. How does that feel to you to have some guys that can play, really play there? Well, it's obviously uh, uh, great for our program. We've got now we're, we're talking about a quarterback room of five rather than a quarterback room of three. We're talking about a guy that was the freshman player of the year in the Pac-12 who threw 25 touchdown passes. Uh, in this league, who's won awards in this league, who's won football games in this league. Noah Fafita coming in and doing an incredible job of making sure that uh, they're impacting our program as well. And uh, then Jordan McLeod coming back from a broken leg, uh, played seven quarters of football. And uh, so we're excited about that quarterback room, really excited about what Jaden's going to bring. I, I look at Oregon State a little bit because I think there's some similarities with trajectory and coaching changes, and you inherited all that. But it was like, you know, in year one, it was tough for them. And then they started playing more competitively. Then they started getting results. How do you keep your guys engaged when they're not getting a W? They don't get the carrot. Yeah, well, you know, they're for the kids, you know, I talk to them very plain and simple. Like, you got personal goals and you got team goals. And your personal goal should always be to play the best possible football you can play. So the team goal should be a benefit of having 11 guys playing their best football they can play. And if you get that, and then you have more points for than against, then you'll win. But really for us, it's the outcome of the game should never affect the way they play. And if we can get our guys' mindset to be that way and you can get everybody to play their best football, the outcomes will come. You uh, Kids are different, right? All kids are different. Like, it's got to be an incredible challenge to be a coach, to walk into a locker room. You're inheriting family of origins that are different, cultures that are different, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, do you enjoy that part of, of coaching? Or what is it about coaching that, you know, what keeps you in this? If you, if you weren't making the money, yeah. what would keep you around? I love that part. Um, that's what brought me back from the NFL to college. Yeah. The kids, the and not the people, the kids. The fact that they are from so many different spots and the stuff you can learn from them and the stuff that they keep you young. Yeah. Uh, they keep you energized. They keep you enthused. Uh, to be able to, you know, just I was talking to Christian Young, who I brought here for the media day, you know, born in 2000. <laughs> you know, I made a joke to him. I go, bro, I could be like, 88 years old, you know, with a walker, and someone say, how old is CY? And all I have to say is, what year? And it's how old you when you are born in 2000. It's the perfect number. Um, but the fact that he's, that you're around these kids, and you talk about, he's from Houston, and then Jacob Cowings from right around the corner, then T-Mac and Noah down Southern California. You get to just learn about their, their traditions, their lives, the amount of Polynesians we have right now in our program. And the Polynesian tradition and the Polynesian family, and uh, it's just that, that's what makes it special. The um, you know when when you look at your move to college, the college game's feeling more like a pro game now with some of the changes. Does that concern you? Well, I think that what it does is it um, gives us a little bit of an advantage because of our NFL experience. We understand what free agency looks and feels like. <laughs> we understand what. Um, you know, what, what it's going to take uh, sometimes right now financially 
uh, what it looks like NIL-wise, what it looks like trying to explain to donors and boosters the importance of um, these kids having opportunities in life. Uh, and then I would say this, that I would say really it's still coaching 18 to 22-year-olds. So as different as it is with the portal recruiting, you still got to get these kids to play hard. Jed Fish, Arizona head coach, is with us. All right, uh, we're talking name, image, likeness, transfer portal, realignment, all that garbage this year. A year from now, what's the conversation going to be like? What are we going to be talking about? The regulations that have been put on those three things. I think what's gonna, what we're going to see next year is we're going to see 12 months, you know, post kind of the, the craziness. Yeah. And then we're going to see where it's taken us and have those real conversations. Movies. Give me a movie that you think is a must-see movie. Maybe it could be an old movie. Kyle Whittingham gave me one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Dan Lanning's like the road to perdition. What's, what's on Jed Fish's? Boy, these guys. I know. Heavy. Uh, heavy. I was going to say Top Gun. <laughs> it was good. It was great. Do you like the original the movie or the, the second I one? love the original, but yeah. it was the only movie I've seen in the last four years. So I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You don't, so you don't get out to a movie? Yeah. No, nah, not a movie guy. No, why not? Uh, it's like immediate sleep. Yeah. You know? <laughs> It's like a $14, $20 investment to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my kids like to go, so uh, we'll do that. But, no, I haven't been in a movie theater other than Top Gun. And I, yeah. that was my Father's Day gift for myself. That was a great movie. I went to Top Gun by myself. Yeah. Got one of those big old reclining chairs, yeah. big old nachos. <laughs> I love that. Jed, uh, let me ask you, as you, uh, your kids, you mentioned kids. How old? How many? Three, 23, 13, Ooh. 10. Okay. So you're like me. I got a 19, an 8, and a 6. Okay. Okay. So they're all different, right? Tell me about them. Well, 23-year-old Zaley went to University of Arizona while we were coaching at Michigan. Okay. So we ruined her senior year <laughs> uh, as we showed up here as, at the end of her uh, collegiate career. That's awesome. All though. of a sudden, her family just became the head coach at the yeah. university she went to but uh, or was going to and going to still currently. Um, she is, uh, she's the mother hen. She's a big fan of the babysitting nanny world. Uh, my 13 year old, um, is certainly very driven and, uh, you would add, she is a football junkie, uh, loves coming to practice, loves being around her dad and now has gotten to the point that loves, um, being around her friends more. So we'll see what that looks like. And then my 10 year old. We like to say she's the most spirited. Isn't that interesting? It's the same. Everybody I talk to, you've got three. The young one is the firecracker. Yeah. Why is that? I don't know. It's interesting. Do you but, recruit that way? Do you look for younger <laughs> siblings? Or do you go, hey, that, that younger sibling's going to bring motor? No, but no, we don't recruit like that. No. <laughs> we, we only have a you don't ask babies. birth order? No. Somebody needs to get on that. But my, uh, my 10-year-old now, don't mess with her when it comes to ball and yeah. don't mess with her when it comes to about anything else. I love that. She is our competitive firecracker. She's a swimmer. And she attacks that pool the way I need our players to attack the weight room. Bring them out to one of those meets.
There it is, Jed Fish, the coach at Arizona. He's got to get his ten, his team out to his swim meet. I don't know how good Arizona's going to be, but uh, I like the vibe of Jed Fish. He's got a different feel. There are some coaches in this conference that have higher profiles, but I got the impression that Fish could have been walking around L.A. on Saturday or Friday during this media day. Nobody would have known who he was. He's got to win some football games. Jackson Kirkland. Hulking offensive lineman at the University of Washington. You'll hear from him coming up. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750, the game. Stephen, during the commercial break, asked me uh, who did I like in week one, San Diego State or Arizona? San Diego State had its way, as did BYU a year ago, with uh, some Pac-12 teams. I'll take San Diego State to win that game, Stephen. Yeah, the brand-new stadium, Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. They're opening it up. This will be the first game there. Uh, San Diego State, six-point favorites in that one, John. What about you got to take over the points? I still like San Diego State in that game. I, I think it. I've seen a couple of those games. Like, in, We've all seen these games. It, they happen during bowl season. They happen during the early part of the season where you get a competent or very good Mountain West style or, or caliber team playing against a uh, bottom half of the Pac-12 conference team. This this happens. Uh, I think it happened uh, as uh, a year ago. We saw even in the L.A. Bowl, Oregon State getting in there against Utah State. It's like a Super Bowl for for that mid-major program. And look, I covered Fresno State years ago. They used to feast on these games. They'd go play Colorado. They'd go play Wisconsin, and they would win. And they'd win the game outright. Uh, San Diego State is favored in this game. Arizona is just trying to rebuild. Is trying to play games closer. I, I still think Jed Fish is going to have a hard time getting to three wins. Uh, I think it's going to be a real struggle for Arizona this season. I think they'll be more competitive. But I like San Diego State, not just for the stadium, but I think San Diego State's trying to prove it belongs in the Pac-12 conference right now. Well, we talk about conference realignment. I mean, the Pac-12 rumored was San Diego State. What better way for San Diego State to prove, hey, you know what, we can dominate these teams in the Pac-12 like Arizona. You know, we come out and win this yeah. game in week one. So I think it's – I'm with you. I think San Diego State's going to get it done. I think we got to pay attention this season to Fresno State, Boise State, San Diego State in particular as they are flexing a little bit and trying to prove, like, hey, we can compete. We could be on that level. I think those games will hold a little extra for those programs. Uh, I got a chance on Friday to talk to Jackson Kirkland, big-time offensive lineman at Washington. He's going to play in the NFL. Um, you know, why didn't he go early? Well, Jackson Kirkland talked about staying the course at Washington in our talk on Friday. Listen up. Give me an idea. School, elementary school photo. You're always the kid in the back row right in the middle. Oh, yeah. Always from kindergarten on? Always. I was pretty much always a big guy. Yeah, I, I knew my place, that you, was for sure. You knew it? Yeah. But so gr growing up, like, was football always on the radar, or did you were you playing other things? Yeah, I was multi-sport, but I was always a little chubbier kid, so, I mean, football's kind of my calling. Yeah. Definitely lineman was when I started playing football, that was automatically just because of how big I was yeah. as opposed to the other kids. But, no, I played basketball and baseball, too, and I love those sports. But, yeah, certainly football was the calling. How does how did basketball and baseball help you as a football player? I would say basketball especially, that footwork and being able to, you know, change direction quick and having quick feet, that translated mm -hmm. completely. And baseball, maybe the more mental aspect of it, you know, that's a lot more. It's calmed down, but you really got to focus on things like hitting the ball or yeah. pitching, things like that. 
High school probably felt simpler to you. Did it feel simpler, or was it like do you, in terms your life of feel sports? more in terms of just life? Like, yeah. does it feel more complex now? Totally. It's. I mean, that's just how it goes when you get yeah. older. It's a lot busier, especially playing big time football too. It's yeah. a lot busier. But yeah, it did. It did feel simpler. You didn't have much going on and going to school and then doing your thing after school with sports, all that. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, you know, a, a potential NFL career is out there and it's not going to get any less complex. You're supposed to be having the time of your life right now. Are you, are you having fun though? As oh, a college kid? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've enjoyed college. That's for sure. I've the relationships made and like being on a team, all that. It's, it's a great time. You had a coaching change. How's that been? It's been great. I'm really pleased with Coach DeBoer and who he's brought in. I'm really impressed with the position coaches that he's brought in. You can tell that it's, that accountability is there. He doesn't need to, like, overstep his boundaries and do yeah. their jobs for them, nothing. They, he trusts them to do their job, and you can totally see that. Pass rusher in this conference that you look forward to a matchup with. I mean, it, from a respect standpoint, not so much like, you know, I'm out to get this guy. I don't want to give any bulletin board material, but... Is there a challenge that you look forward to this year or a guy in particular where you go, hey, you know, I know that guy's talented. I'm going to bring my game. He's going to bring his. Yeah, or definitely. You know. there, there, There's a couple of those guys. I know Oregon has a few with uh, Mace Funa and uh, Brandon Dorless. I think he's a great player. So yeah. those are guys that are definitely going to be great matchups too and I always look forward to a good challenge too and it's fun battling back and forth. Washington State has Brennan Jackson, who I think is a great player too. So, but yeah, every game. I mean, this conference is great. They're gonna each team's gonna wheel out their best player, and he's gonna give me their best each Saturday. What was Kayvon Thibodeau like? Yeah, as a matchup. Yeah, I think he's a heck of a player. That guy, extremely athletic, extremely fast for how big he is too. And I think, of course, he's an exceptional player. Yeah, he was drafted yeah. what top is, five. Yeah. Is there one thing though that he did that you go, that's what made him special? Yeah, or? just his first step off the ball. Edge rushers. We always talk about like. I think great edge rushers have a great first step. They're fast. They can get off as soon as that ball snapped, they're going. Yeah. And he had that. And because of how long he was, he could really, like, stride. Yeah, I love that. Jackson Kirkland is with us. Um, you know, it's it's weird to be talking about USC, UCLA leaving. It, we can't blame the players with that program. But when you think about how they'll be greeted at Husky Stadium or other places, what do you think fans are going to do to them? You know, I don't, I don't, we'll have to wait and see for something like that. I mean, we've got to remember, too, that there's still two years left. It may be different, you know, going forward. But I still can see those matchups the same, and the task has never changed. We still want to beat those those teams and be the top of the Pac-12 with that. What's your side hustle? Side hustle? You got one? Um, no, not really. You're I not mean, a chef? You're not a video game developer? No, nah, not a video game developer. I mean, I do. I would say I'm a pretty solid chef. I will never cook you anything crazy flamboyant or something yeah. like that but i i have yet to say and this is on record that i've messed up like if you wanted a medium rare steak it'll be a perfect medium rare steak <laughs> i will not i will not let you down so stuff like that i've just i get the job done i'll say that and oh. on the grill i like that you guys uh, are looking forward to a season how important is it for you to to leave washington better than you found it oh that's everything that's the first thing i talked about when i came back when i had the opportunity to come back um leave this place better than i found it that's that's how i see it and yeah i, I consider washington always with the tradition top of the pac-12 the standard so i just want to bring you back and remind people that they still respect this program and team was it was that a hard decision for you because there was money out there there was opportunity for you and how do you how do you determine who to listen to yeah Right, you got to find the right information, and I really went with. Obviously, I have a great support system with my family and coaches, all that. But 
it was a gut feeling thing. Like, if there's any doubt in your mind or you want to, you know, change something or leave you dub, like we yeah. said, better than I found it, leave it the right way, that's just motivating me. I'm a, I don't know what it is. I just have an extreme pride in where I come from. And a lot of guys want to just, you know, not skip steps, but they'd rather, if it's there, just go. But I'm like, wait a minute, I want to I want to make my mark and leave something behind and, you know, take this university to the top. So just knowing how big I was on the UW aspect, yeah. that kind of made it a no-brainer. Yeah, are, are there, give us an idea, because most of us will never get the chance to be in that position. Are you hearing from agents and others who are going, there's money there, or what are those conversations like? They're going to tell you what you want to hear. Totally, yeah, of course they want to tell you yeah. what uh, that you want to hear, but yeah, you really got to find the right information. Meaning, I think the coaches really know what scouts are saying, things like that, what the real diagnosis is of you, and you got to be exactly sure because once you're gone, you're gone. You know what I mean? So, I really, and me being older now and wiser, I've been through it. You just kind of understand that, like, all of this mock anything, yeah. like, it doesn't mean it. you got to, like, play this year, all this preseason stuff, hype, all that. Like, you just. 80% of it's game film to me, and that's what you got to get the job done is in the season that, so I just focus on that. I will never think of Jackson Kirkland, the Washington offensive lineman, without thinking about a medium-rare steak from now on. That's not something, guys, that uh, I would have expected anyone to tout. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. If that, is that a superpower, knowing, like, how to cook a steak perfectly medium-rare? I think so. I <laughs> like, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit this. My wife is usually the one that will command the grill for cooking steaks. If she's okay. cooking steaks, she's doing it on the grill or she's doing cast iron, and it comes out pretty much perfect every time, and I can't be more attracted to her when she does that. So <laughs> I agree. I, I, think, I think Jackson is a great guy, and I'm rooting for him because he can do that for me at any time. <laughs> he, got, he, he just got better looking he as, he, as he mentioned the steak. Uh, let's look at Washington's schedule. They start with Kent State, Portland State out of the gates. I got to tell you, I've been around Portland State uh, this summer a little bit. They are more athletic than they have been in prior years. I'm not saying they're going to beat Washington, but I think Portland State is decent right now when you look at FCS programs. And again, Portland State in their last 12 games against FBS schools, they're 2-10 and 10 in their last 12. And both those wins came in 2015 as they beat Washington State at North Texas in the same year. But it's Kent State, Portland State. Then it gets hard for Washington. It's Michigan State at home. It's Stanford at home. It's UCLA on the road. It's Arizona State on the road. That's six games. What's their record after the sixth game, guys? I think that they go 2-0 and to start, Kent State and Portland State. I think that they lose to Michigan State, although I think that's, that's kind of a toss-up. I don't know how good Michigan State's going to be this year, but... Uh, I, I think Michigan State will win that. Stanford's kind of a tricky one, like for USC and Washington. Stanford strikes me as a team that always starts the year better than they finish it, at least recently. Like they, they seem like it's a team that kind of uh, wears down a little bit, but they're always tricky at the beginning of the season. I know they beat Oregon in Week 4 last year. They lose to UCLA, so I, I think they're going to go, uh, I'll say, 3-3 three and three to start the season. I think I'd have them at 4. I think I th- I think. They're going to split probably Michigan State and UCLA. I don't know which they're going to win, but I think they can get Arizona State. I think they can get Stanford also potentially. So I think it's four wins, potentially five. I like the Kalen DeBoer hire, and it's a lot different than what Jimmy Lake was providing. That was a defensive team. Uh, DeBoer's going to open it up a little bit more with Michael Penix Jr. at quarterback, or if they want to go with Heward at quarterback, whatever they want to do. Like I think there's going to be a lot more options, and they have a lot of talent up there at UW. I've always been – 
uh, you know, a fan of just the team, how they build it up there at Washington with all that talent. So I think it's going to be four and two in that first six. And right now that over under seven and a half for the season. I mean, I don't know what is, I think the number is pretty spot on, but I think four and two is pretty realistic for the first six. I like the hire of DeBoer as well. He He's won everywhere he's gone. Uh, to me, it comes down to Penix Jr. It, he He's had injury problems in his college career. If he stays healthy, I think they could be a little surprised. Now, keep in mind, in their schedule, they do not play USC in the regular season. They do not do not play Utah in the regular season. So they miss two of the top three teams in the conference as, as we uh, you know sort of look at who was picked to win this conference. So I think they've got a favorable conference schedule. I think they're, they go 2-0 and to start. I think if they can get to the sixth week, and that game is Arizona State on October 8th, and if they are sitting at 4-2 and two after 6, look out. Because I think down the stretch, DeBoer's team will be tough. They play Arizona down the stretch, I think that's a win. They also uh, they get uh, Oregon State at home. They get Colorado at home. They have to go on the road for the Apple Cup. They have to go on the road to Oregon. They have to go on the road to Cal. But I think you're right. I think they're right in there around seven wins. And if they start four and two, I could see eight wins on their schedule. But let's, uh, you know, I think DeBoer, like, I think when we look back, like five, six, seven years from now, we might be talking about that hire more than we could be talking about Lincoln Riley. I don't know. I don't know what USC is going to do once they move to the Big Ten. But I think Washington could be sneaky good with DeBoer as their coach. And you think it's definitely going to be Penix at quarterback? I think that's where they're going to start. But look at his, you know, if you look at his career at Indiana, they couldn't keep him healthy. And DeBoer knows him. And, you know, it, it was interesting. Here's another thing that came up on Media Day that, that is really interesting, guys. I wanted to talk about Bo Nix with Oregon and Dan Lanning and Alex Forsythe. Mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about Bo Nix because I think Bo Nix is going to start. Oregon doesn't want to talk about Bo Nix. Oregon wants you to talk about all three quarterbacks. And I get why. They're afraid that they're going to lose Ty Thompson in the portal here if they start talking too much about Bo Nix. And I think, you know, or they're going to lose Jay Butterfield. So I think Oregon's going to play a game here. Keep keep an eye on this. This week, next week, next two or three weeks. I think Oregon's going to play a game where they're going to talk about all three quarterbacks equally. They're not going to single one guy guy out. They're not going to name a starter. I would not be surprised if we hear Ty Thompson's taking reps with the ones. Jay Butterfield's taking reps with the ones. Uh, Bo Nix is taking reps with the ones. Two two things. Alex Forsythe, in our interview that aired, uh, uh, I, I think, on Friday, or the interview I did on Friday, I kept asking about Bo Nix, and he kept saying, well, you know, Ty Thompson, Jay Butterfield. And at the end of the interview, I, I kind of gave him a hard time. I said, you're not going to let me talk about Bo Nix, are you? And he says, well, we got all three guys. I subsequently reached out to Oregon, and I said, I want to get Bo Nix on the show because he wasn't at media day. And Oregon told me, you can have Bo Nix, but you have to take all three quarterbacks. They don't want to single a guy out, guys. Is that genius? Are they playing a game? What are they doing? It might be genius. I have that clip right here. I'm going to play it for you, uh, John. Alex Forsyth, you you specifically asked him about Bo Nix, and this was Alex Forsyth, the captain, the leader. This was his answer. I think all three of the quarterbacks have done a phenomenal job, um, you know, this spring with, you know, Bo, Ty, uh, Jay. All those guys have done a great job, and they're in a new offense. I know it's tough. they got to do a lot of stuff with protections, motioning, uh, everything. Mm. Uh, It's not easy. So it's been really impressive to see them, you know, really all three step up to the challenge and done just such a good job with, you know, all three commanding the whoever they're working with on that on that drive. 
Um, they've all gotten pretty much equal reps with the ones, twos, and threes. So just whoever they're with, they always, you know, command it. And I, I've just seen so much good leadership being built out of all three of them. I mean, that was such a political answer of <laughs> all three. He said all three five times in the 39-second clip. Yeah. So I think you're right. I think it might be genius on their part because they want to try to keep everyone at Oregon. But it does seem like Bo Nix is going to be the starter. Yeah, I think there's no shot that anybody else but Bo Nix starts that game if they're all healthy. I think what Oregon's doing, and, and look, Dovetail, I was there on Friday. I, did, I, I mentioned the 34 interviews. One of them I did was with Herm Edwards, and we played it today. Herm Edwards is saying, you don't have a backup anymore at the quarterback position because that guy transfers because he wants to go play and he's probably getting paid. If you're Oregon and you're sitting on Ty Thompson, Bo Nix, and Jay Butterfield, you have to feel really good about the depth in that quarterback room. And if you're Dan Lanning, I think it's smart. I don't think it's disingenuous. I think it's smart for Dan Lanning to go, look, we're not going to name a starter. And, in fact, we're going to talk about all three guys as if they are the starter. Because we don't know who's coming out of fall camp healthy. We could lose a guy. And we don't want these guys to prematurely jump into the portal. Let's hold these guys as long as we can, get the longest look we can, before we have to name a starter. And I, and that's why I think Bo Nix will be named the starter for the Georgia game. But I think it's going to happen like six days before the Georgia game. I don't think we're going to get that indication early in fall camp. I don't think they're going to run the risk of alienating Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield. And I think, you know, it, it goes as far as, you know, I, I, I go to the sports information director for football at Oregon, and I say, look, I want Bo Nix on the show. And he says, you're going to have to take all three quarterbacks if you get Bo Nix. And, and he's, he's just being honest. He's been told that. Like, we can't give one guy to anybody. They don't want anybody to think that Bo is the starter or Ty is the starter or Jay is the starter. Um, and I think they're going to try to hold all three kids there as long as they possibly can. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be Georgia, you know, Bo Nix, obviously. And then if Bo Nix plays really poorly, like, I think it's, you know, it could be anyone, uh, Eastern Washington. So it's going to be super interesting. I definitely think it's Georgia for, for Nix, though. The guy I really want to see play is Jay Butterfield. Like, I want to see what he's got. We, we kind of got to see Ty Thompson. We got to see Bo Nix. But I came out of the spring game thinking Butterfield was the second-best quarterback. I thought it was Bo Nix, then Butterfield, then Ty Thompson third. And – you know, maybe it's just a one-off. It's a spring game. I don't know what if Ty was pressing, but, um, you know, Alex Forsyth, who I know well, I've known him since he was about an eighth grader, and, you know, when I pressed him on that question and I said, you're not going to tell me. You're not going to give me one guy, are you? He just smiled at me. Like, it, I know they were given that talking point. We all know that. And, like, I don't blame Oregon one bit for, for going with that and going, look, this is our strategy. We're not We're not singling out one QB. Because they know the minute they do, somebody's jumping in the portal. And and my prediction would be, I think Oregon's worried about Butterfield jumping in the portal and going to Nevada. You got Nate Costa and uh, Mastro, the running backs, former running backs coach. That coaching staff at Nevada is now former Oregon coaches. I think that they would take him at Nevada in a heartbeat, and I think he'd start there, and I think Oregon's playing some defense. And then Ty Thompson could go anywhere. Like, he's just such a good athlete. And I think he's going to be a star one day, but I think uh, I think they got to play some defense there. Leave it here. You got the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up top of the hour. I got that right. 
You do, yeah. yeah. Peter is uh, in studio. Peter, what do you what do we got on tap for it? <laughs> well, first we got to plug our headphones yeah, in. Uh, obviously, you know Deshaun Watson uh, yeah. going on MLB trade deadline, and uh, we're going to continue our Pac-12 team previews with another mm-hmm. South team. I love that, um, Bill Russell. Can I ask you, Peter, what your yeah. reaction when you saw the passing of Bill Russell? What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's never a shock when an 88 year old man passes away, but Bill Russell's so so important. And I saw an amazing number. He's he's play, he played in 21 do or die games in his career, and he was 21 and 0. And I mean, everything off the court, he's up there for me with Jackie Robinson and Muhammad Ali as far as being heroes. Yeah, I think. You know, when you talk about winners at all levels, you include Bill Russell in that conversation. He's just a winner. Uh, you know, you talk about his championships. Uh, it, it's just really interesting to see when you look at his career from the NCAA to the Olympics to, you know, all the way back to high school to his NBA career. The guy just won and won and won and was such a positive, good influence on the sport of basketball and the NBA in particular. Uh, but Bill Russell passed away at the age of 88 over the weekend. I want you to leave it here for The Pulse with Peter Sampson that's coming up. We're back tomorrow with another great show. Uh, For those of you who want to read me, you can read me at johnconzano.com. And uh, Stephen and Sean, I appreciate all the work you did on today's show. It was fantastic and fast-moving. And uh, we finally got most of that Pac-12 Media Day stuff uh, aired, which is great. That's a win. Didn't want to leave it in the can, so we got it going. And... I want everybody to have a great Monday night and enjoy Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up right here on 750 The Game. The bald-faced truth, not here for a long time, just a good time.